This is Commission President Sam Cho convening the special meeting of March 14th, 23. The time is 10 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building at Pier 69 and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins, Fellman, Hazagawa, and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. We'll now recess into executive session to discuss one item regarding litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub I for approximately 55 minutes and two items related to the performance of public employees per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub G and we'll reconvene into public session at noon. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I just want to note my error, that second set of performance of public employees will last 60 minutes in total, um, so I neglected to add that there. And we are in recess. Thank you. This is Commission President Sam Cho reconvening the special meeting of March 14th, 2023. The time is 12.11 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle Headquarters Building Commission Chambers and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. Beginning with Commissioner Fellerman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you. We do have a quorum. Excellent. A few housekeeping items before we begin today. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn off your cell phones to silent. For anyone participating on the Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the Commission or Executive Director participating virtually, or you are a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the Commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your requests to be recognized to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you have been recognized. You'll turn your microphone on and off as needed. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting, so I thank you in advance. All votes today will be taken in the roll call method, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how the votes are cast, casted. Uh, commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people, with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. All right. Thank you. Sorry. The first item today will be uh, the approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. 
However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on the consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request the item to be pulled off for separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motions to rearrange the orders of the day? Mr. Chair, I'd like to pull item number 4A, Annual Executive Director Performance Review from the agenda. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Do I have a second to pull 4A? So moved. Thank you. I have a, a motion and a second to pull 4A from the agenda, which is the Annual Executive Director Performance Review. We will uh, be rescheduling this to another uh, week. All right, the question, commissioners, is now the question on the approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as presented, uh, as amended? Excuse so me. moved. Motion has been made and seconded. The, um, is there any objections to approval of the agenda? Oh, I'm sorry. Hearing, <laughs> yeah. All okay. in favor? Okay. I don't think we need to do a roll call on this, right? I'm just asking for it. Mr. Commissioner President, you can do that by general consent as fine. Okay, great. Are there any objections to the approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. Thank you very much. All right, commissioners, we do have, oh, we don't have a special order anymore because we just pulled that from yep. the agenda. Top of nine. Thank you. Next on our agenda is the executive director's report. Executive Metric, you have the floor. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'd like to begin my remarks by wishing everyone a happy Women's History Month. Every March, we take time to study, commemorate, and celebrate the vital role of women in the United States history. During, the, during March, the Ports Women's Initiative Network, or WIN, is hosting events, including celebrating women leaders across the port on March 16th in our Women Outstanding Achievement Awards for the, for the year in March 29th. I encourage everyone to attend those events. Some other notable upcoming port events include tomorrow's Seattle, <coughs> South Seattle Community Multi-Agency Forum. Over the course of the past few years, we have received several letters from community organizations whose concerns require the coordination and participation of all relevant government entities with jurisdiction over the key issues that, they, that have been raised. Like, like the role the port plays on many other issues, we are taking the initiative and acting as the convener of this, of this uh, meeting by coordinating with our stakeholders to identify shared goals and desired outcomes. This is made possible due to your leadership and, and, and will convene multiple government agencies, private sector partners, and representation from many elected offices to hear questions and concerns regarding noise, emissions, health, and quality of life. Key participants include the City of Seattle's Department of Neighborhoods, King County International Airport, Puget Sound Clean Air Agency, the Governor's Office, the King County Executive's Office, the Seattle Mayor's Office, and staff from four congressional offices. We hope that this is a starting point for broader engagement and understanding around public agency actions and how they impact and align with South Seattle communities. Thanks to Commissioner Hasegawa and Commissioner uh, Fellman for planning to attend the event tomorrow. An annual event happening this weekend is the Blessing of the Fleet, which will be held at Fisherman's Terminal this coming Sunday at 1 p.m. Presented by the Ballard First Lutheran Church, the, the, the event is intended as a celebration of hope for a good and safe upcoming fishing season. This year, the boat that they will, the blessing will be uh, blessing representing the fleet is the Silverware, a 58-foot purse seiner home ported at Fisherman's Terminal. It's great to think about the safety and well-being of those that brave the seas to put food on our tables. Hope everyone can attend that event as well. I would also 
<clears throat> like to extend my congratulations again to the Accounting and Financial Reporting Department here at the Port on the news that the Port has received the cert Certification of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting from the Government Finance, Finance Officers Associ Association, GFOA, of the United States and Canada. As stated in the GFOA award notification, this certification is the highest form of recognition in the area of government accounting and finance, financial reporting, and its attainment represents a significant achievement by, the, by a government in its management. <clears throat> this is now um, the 17th consecutive year that the Port has earned this recognition. Along with this prestigious acknowledgement, the GFOA Award of Financial Reporting Achievement was separately given to the AFR Department. So congratulations to the entire AFR team. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. On our consent agenda today, we have several items related to enhancing both physical and cybersecurity at our facilities as well as our resiliency. From renewing our badging system to improving our network firewall to increasing the capacity of our communication infrastructure at the airport, these items may not get the headlines, but they are also key to our ability to continue to operate our facilities in a safe, efficient, and reliable manner. You'll also hear about our, <clears throat> our 2022 financial performance, which is not only a chance to reflect on our successes and challenges from the past year, but will also lay the groundwork as we go into business planning for our 2024 budget. I'll have more to say about that item during its introduction. Commissioners, this concludes my remarks this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for that report, Executive Director Metric. We are now going to move on to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic, Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Erica. Great. Good, uh, good afternoon, Com uh, President Cho and Commissioners. I have uh, four committee and one advisory committee report for you today. The Sustainability, Environment, and Climate Committee convened by Commissioners Hasegawa and Felamen met on February 21st, where they were briefed on proposed tree and forest management principles, including existing programs and gaps. Commissioners discussed how best to, best to measure and what for benchmarking and consistency. Commissioners also discussed maintenance strategies for overall forest and habitat health. Committee also uh, received a briefing on SEA Gateway North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program, where commission, commissioners received an overview of the project sustainable evaluation framework analysis and recommendations on next steps. Portwide Arts and Culture Board met on February 21st with Commissioners Felamin and Cho participating. With several new members joining the board, members were briefed on the purview and role of the board. The board received an update from Senior Art Program Manager on projected uh, capital improvement project spending on art projects and the board discussed the 2023 work plan. Um, on Thursday, March 2nd, Deputy Mayor Negusi led the first Joint Advisory Committee meeting on 2023. Commissioners Felman and Mohammed were in attendance. Agenda covered updates regarding how the interlocal agreement is working, an update on the Municipal Court ILA between the Port and SeaTac, a 2023 legislative session update, and continued discussion regarding North SeaTac Park. Commissioners Fellman and Calkins convened the Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee on March 8th. During the meeting, they received a presentation on real estate near the North Harbor and provided directions to staff. On March 2nd, Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. Commissioners were joined by Economic Development Division staff and consultants from Intelligent Partnership who delivered a presentation on the port's Winby analysis. This presented 
This presentation consisted of a preliminary review of the barriers faced by Wimby businesses and working with the port and some suggested options for lowering these barriers. Commissioners noted the scale of the challenges presented in the analysis and the need to think creatively and strategically to address these barriers. Staff are still working to finalize the analysis and will distribute to commissioners when they're done. This concludes my report. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Erica, uh, for that report. Are there any follow-up questions regarding committees from our commissioners? If so, please indicate if you would like to speak. Seeing none, we'll move on in the next agenda. Thank you, Erica. All right, we are moving on to item seven, which is public comment um, on our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Sorry, that's loud. I'll turn it down. Sorry. Hot mic. She's got it. Before we take the public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commentator will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will be on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business, threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language, obscene language and gestures, refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment, leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach the commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may offer written materials to commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting as provided in the Commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as from anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When I call your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself. Then pl please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of the port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of poor business. Going on to the list of speakers, our first uh, speaker will be Alex Zimmerman. Alex, you have two minutes. Please state your full name and the topic related to conduct of poor business. Let me go ahead and get the timer up before we yep. begin. Thank you very much. Give me just a second, Alex. Is here? Okay. Yes, but I want to get the timer up. Hang on a minute for me. Is working? Microphone. Yes, it's working. Yes, um, thank you very much. So there is timer. Uh, yeah, hang on a second. Uh-huh. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Okay. All right, go ahead when you're ready. Oh, my name Alex Zimmerman. Is working? Yes, I won't start it until you state your conduct okay, or your okay. topic related to the conduct no of the problem. port, Alex. You need to state your full name and the topic related to the port. I know my name. I remember. I know. Yeah, it's for name. the public, not for you. <laughs> so it's working or not? Yes, Alex. Do you okay. want me to start it? Okay, my name is Alex Zimmerman. Oh, thank you very much. My name is Alex Zimmerman. I am a candidate for ship to the moon. Um, 
I want to speak about uh, port uh, ethical standard, what is I see here for many time, for many years. No, first, I don't understand, and I spoke with you before about this, why commissioner always late. I don't understand this. I can imagine that this happened because you show who's boss in this room. This exactly happened. Director and his assistant, you know what has been always come before, is a standard gentleman business procedure, what has exists in all countries. I live before in many countries, so I know what is I'm talking about. I'm a professional businessman. Yeah. It's number one. Number two, I'm totally confused about consul personal standards, you know what this means, because somebody consul from you, when I start speaking, take chair out and show to public his smart ass. I never see like this before in my life, but this happened before many times here. Guys, you understand what is happening in this situation? Your ethical standard close to none, to zero. It's exactly who you are. And I told you before many times, guys, you need something doing with yourself because you low life. Very primitive. Very primitive. You Alex, your comments aren't relevant to the port. Could you please keep your topic to the port? Standards is a fundamental point in every meeting government have. Every meeting is officially everywhere. Ethical standard very important. So I want what is you come first time before 12, like all civilized people doing, in stopping something doing what is absolutely stupid and don't have sense. Show so you are bosses. Everybody know you are very low-class bosses come from junkyard. Is this exactly my opinion? Alex, your comments need to stay within the conduct of the board. No problem. No problem. You have right for cut. Thank you. Moving on, um, I'm going to alternate between virtual and in-person speakers. I think the next virtual speaker is Liz Johnson. Liz, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Excellent. When you get started, when you state your name and the topic uh, related to port conduct, we'll start the timer. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, my name is Liz Johnson, and I am speaking on behalf of uh, the tourism, the state of Washington tourism action item. Excellent. Go ahead. Uh, First off, thank you commissioners for allowing me to address this topic today. Uh, my name is Liz Johnson, as I said, and I am the Director of International Tourism at Visit Seattle. I have been personally involved with the move towards greater cooperation between the Port of Seattle and State of Washington Tourism. The three organizations recently made an important step in collaborating by signing a joint contract in Australia and New Zealand with linked tourism at the beginning of January 2023. We instigated the RFP process together and ultimately agreed on the best organization to represent our shared interests. This is, to my knowledge, the first time that the three organizations have created such a partnership. Soon after, my colleague Caitlin Shearer traveled to Australia and New Zealand for a trade show and meetings with Travel Trade and Media. She did this with the new trade and media managers from linked by her side. The overwhelming response from down under about our joint partnership was it's about time. They were happy to have Seattle and Washington state back in the market and repeatedly said that this joint promotion quote just makes sense. The international market recognizes the value of our partnership and it's imperative that we continue to do the same. I look forward to more collaboration across multiple international markets in the near future with each of these organizations. Thank you. Thank you very much, Liz. We'll go on to the next in-person speaker, which is Margaret Richard. 
And Margaret, if you could state your full name for the record and the topic related to poor conduct, and then we'll get the timer started. Thank you. My name is Marguerite Richard. What else did you ask me? And, and your topic. Well, my topic is port business. I don't know what's going on over here. I thought I'd turn my phone off. Um, I'm taking this matter very personal today, okay? Because, anyway, I thought I had turned it off. I'm taking it personal because of the simple fact that I'm an indigenous black female and I really feel that we're allowed to be led to be intimidated when we come in this point of view. So I don't, I don't like that, okay? We have a, a recent death because you have security here. Tyree Nichols, law enforcement, killed him in front of everybody, okay? Then I come down here and I see you guys brawl beaten Alex Zimmerman. I don't like that. That That is an offense to me. And I don't care anymore for what has also killed somebody. Honorable Michael B. Fuller, I don't know for the record if he came down here and ever addressed you, but he's deceased now. He died August 24th. 2022, and that statement, official oppression, I've never heard of it. Somebody help me out with it. You can be officially oppressed and then lose your life behind it because all you're doing is free speech. And if we don't have speech, what do we have? A God-given right to address government without fear of retaliation. But you got certain rules and regulations for people like this. That's why I'm carrying this. Because all the standards that I try to live up under and live a good, righteous, and holy life, something came against me just opening open my mouth and addressing bodies like you. And here come all those attacks and you tell us about personal attack? What are you going to do about the stuff that we have to face every single day? And they're going up on everything that we have to put our hands on. Thank you, Marguerite. Your time is up. I'm sorry. Thank you. All right. Oh. Our next... Uh, the virtual speaker is going to be David Blanford. David, are you with us? Yes, I am. Excellent. It's a busy day for you today, David. I saw you earlier this morning in, in Olympia. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, please state your full name for the record as well as the topic related to con poor conduct uh, or business, and uh, we'll start the timer. Yeah, Next. give me just a minute, Mr. Commissioner President. I'm having an issue with the timer. Our timer went down, so give me just a moment to get it back up here. It is just not wanting to cooperate. Hang on. There we go. 
Excellent. Go ahead, David, if you could state your name and the topic. Great. President Cho, Commissioners, good to be with you today. I'm David Blanford. I'm CEO of State of Washington Tourism, and I'm speaking today in support of the Tourism Cat 3 State of Washington Tourism Action Item. During the past three years, the Port of Seattle, State of Washington Tourism, uh, have partnered to help Washington's tourism industry recover from the, the deep impacts of the pandemic and uh, position for incremental growth in the future. But tourism cannot fully recover until overseas tourism can recover. So continued partnership will be needed to regenerate important markets for us. Three years ago, China was our number one overseas market and definitely our biggest growth opportunity. Mature markets like the UK and Japan had seen investment from us for 20 years or more. And those markets understand this destination and certainly could be built back. Great excitement about South Korea, France, Benelux, and certainly, as Liz Johnson said, Australia and New Zealand. Regenerating international tourism markets is critical for Washington. Tourism is an export industry. That means that the product is already in place but requires delivery to market. That means tourism development and marketing from us. Strong alignment exists between the State of, Was State of Washington Tourism, the Port of Seattle, and Visit Seattle. Together, we have the opportunity to strengthen our global destination brand, bolster international market share, and drive regional equity and resiliency across Washington. State of Washington Tourism and the entire tourism industry here in Olympia today are grateful for the port's partnership in recent years, and we thank you for your continued support. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, moving on to um, another in-person Commentator Stephen Lindstrom, you in the room? All right, Stephen. If you could state your full name and the topic uh, related to the port, go ahead. My name is Stephen Lindstrom, and I was retired from the port 16 months ago because of your HB 5726 don't get the shot thing. I'm not going to talk about that right now because. It still is very emotional to me. What I'm gonna ask is, do you guys care about saving money? I worked in the boiler room and your water treatment on your boilers, number one, your boilers at the, at the airport are 70 years old. The water treatment is bad and the last time they did an opening that I was there, there was a 16th of an inch of, um, stuff inside the tubes and when you have that inside the tubes it insulates the tubes and you lose 15 to 20 percent efficiency so you're talking about 20 percent of more gas 24 hours a day seven days a week that you're losing because you didn't clean it well enough and it doesn't cost that much for water the second thing your coolings i was a boiler operator i know i fixed stuff for six years there your cooling system. It runs on a multi-million dollar computer program, but the program is only as good as the numbers going into it. They have not, in six years that I know of, calibrated their fluid meters. So you get bad numbers going in, you use more electricity. Pretty simple. And that won't cost, the savings on that 
will be huge compared to what it would cost to fix it. And the third thing that I'm going to bring up is that you have a DA tank, which is a deaerating tank that goes to your boilers. They're supposed to be open and inspected every year because they have pressure on them. And if they, if they go bad, they explode and people get hurt or killed. That DA tank was never opened for the six years that I was there. And another 15 years before that. So all I'm saying is that is a safety concern. We brought this up to the managers, but they didn't do anything about it. So here I am at the port. Thank you, Stephen. So maybe you can keep somebody from getting killed that I worked with. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, our next speaker is virtual, is uh, James Jennings. All right, good afternoon. Yep, Executive Director Metric, President Cho and Commissioners. My name is James Jennings, or JJ, as some within the port know me as, here to speak in regards to the port's HR 34 and EX 29 policies. For the benefit of Commissioners Hasegawa and Mohammed, uh, who have not yet had the pleasure to meet, I'd like to provide a little bit of background. Uh, I was a port employee for 26 years, having a bit of a Cinderella story career, starting as a college intern and finishing as the Director of Aviation Business and Properties. Uh, as a sample of my work, I stood before commissioners, many here today, laying the groundwork for uh, many major SeaTac International Airport capital projects, most notice notably the Concourse C Expansion Project, SEA Gateway Project, and Concourse A Expansion for airport lounges. I'm not sure if it's commonly known, but I'm one of the employees that was quietly terminated when the port instituted its HR 34 policy requiring vaccination having uh, received no accommodation for my sincerely held religious beliefs. But I'm not here today to tread out sour grapes or ask for my job back. In fact, I've worked very hard to move on from my port employment, currently working with my wife in a small airport consulting business called 2J Consulting. But one challenge we're having is that we're not currently allowed to work on site at port facilities due to our vaccination status. This limits our ability to potentially compete for work uh, and limits us exclusively to virtual work. But even more important is the fact that uh, not everyone who was terminated has fared as well as I. You may hear from some of them today, as I understand there are others that may be publicly speaking. Some are better, some continue to struggle to find work, some uh, aren't allowed uh, to, you know, aren't currently allowed to uh, recompete for their jobs back at the port, which feels discriminatory in light of the current COVID-19 climate and evidence. So I'm here today to ask the port, why is it why have you not retracted or significantly modified your vaccination requirements for both employees and contractors, both HR 34 and EX 29? Clearly, the body of evidence and the practical, political, and scientific justifications that underpinned the development of those policies has dissolved. We know unvaccinated employees and contractors are no greater risk to the employee population. And politically, President Biden has long given up on his federal contractor um, requirements in King County and Seattle have all retracted their requirements. And scientifically, even the CDC JJ, now recognizes time is up. Could you conclude for us? Yes, I will. I uh, just uh, implore you to consider uh, retracting or significantly modifying HR 34 and EX 29 to align with the current COVID-19 climate and evidence. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. It's good to see you. Um, our next um, public speaker is Dr. Elizabeth Burton.
All right, Dr. Burton, if you could state your full name and the topic for the record, and then we'll start the clock. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Burton, commenting on item 8L, the International Tourism Marketing Initiative. At past presentations on this topic, I have never heard any commissioner ask, how will this proposed increase in international tourism affect our ability to meet our emissions goals, specifically our goal to reduce scope 3 emissions 50% by 2030? How many additional tons of greenhouse gases will this put into the atmosphere? For every decision you make, you need to ask, will this help to solve the climate crisis or will it make the climate crisis worse? Increasing international tourism will make the climate crisis worse. I urge, I would like you to take this item out of the consent agenda, discuss it further, further and vote it down. The IPCC has determined that in order to have a chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, each person on Earth can emit no more than one and a half tons of greenhouse gases per year. Each passenger on a single round-trip flight from Sydney, Australia to Seattle emits 7.6 tons of greenhouse gases, five times the amount that's compatible with 1.5 degrees of warming. You need to be aware of this. It needs to be part of the discussion. The last slide in today's presentation claims that promoting international tourism benefits all Washington residents. I don't think the hundreds of Washington residents and billions of sea creatures who died in the 2021 heat dome would agree with that, nor the Washington cherry, wheat, and onion farmers who lost their crops that year, nor the wineries whose crops were ruined by wildfire smoke. In fact, the climate impact of international tourism harms all living things on Earth. It is past time that you find a less destructive way to promote prosperity and well-being in this region. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Burton. Um, our next uh, speaker is actually Kathleen Moriarty. We've actually run out of virtual speakers, so um, Kathleen is next. Hi, I'm Kathleen Moriarty. I worked at the port for 18 and a half years until 16 months ago when you terminated me for not following your compliance rules. The Port of Seattle loves to talk a big game about the importance of diversity and inclusion, yet given the chance, you literally created a new class of people to discriminate against. Your propaganda regarding the pandemic of the unvaccinated was effective in creating and spreading fear against people who believe in the power of God and their natural immunity to protect their health. Even worse, against people who have medical conditions that aren't allowed, that can't, aren't allowed to get vaccinated. You used coercion and bribery to force people to take an unwanted, not fully approved injection or lose their livelihood. Your lack of accommodations for those who submitted religious and medical exemptions due to a perceived undue hardship that would negatively impact workplace safety and pose a threat to the health and safety of employees was and remains hypothetical. To assume an unvaccinated person is more contagious than a vaccinated person without any medical evaluation or diagnosis has no merit and has proven to be false. In fact, in an email from Steve Metric dated January 26, 2022, you were canceling all in-person meetings because, to quote, so far in January, we are seeing nearly as many employee COVID positive cases and episodes of person-to-person -person transmissions in the workplace as, as we experienced in all of 2021. So over two months after you fired all unvaccinated employees, your COVID infections were higher than ever. Not surprising given emails released through FOIA show that Washington state public officials, health officials knew the vaccines did not stop transmission and showed that vaccinated per 
people are more contagious than unvaccinated. Fast forward to today with your continued need of the vaccine mandate when everyone else is dropping theirs, stating in a February 8th email, you will continue to keep an eye on local, state, and national changes to COVID-19 policies and continue to review your mitigation strategies and policies, keeping the key objective of ensuring the safety and health of your workforce. What science are you following that is different than everyone else's? We are here to put you on notice that what you did and continue to do is not only illegal, but, but it was also immoral. We will not go away until you are held accountable. Thank you, Kathleen. Um, I believe the next speaker is Gail. I'm sorry, this handwriting is a little hard. Earl? Gail, yeah. Go ahead. For the record, that last name is Abe. Abe, Gail Abe. Okay, yeah, if you could just restate the name for the record and your topic. Thank you so much. My name is Gail Abe. I'm also here on um, because I was fired from the port for not taking the jab. <clears throat> um, I just have a few things to say. It's like, you know, you're so for my body, my choice. If I'm going to be a pregnant and abort a baby, kill it, that's good. It's okay. But if I don't want to take some poison into my body, I can't work for the port anymore. I was there for 11 years as a mechanic. I worked hard. I got my job done. I um, had a great time being there. I loved it, loved the people. But, um, you know, you talk about Women's Month and our rights, quality of life. You know, you try to put fear into us. If, we, you, know, if you don't take the jab, you're going to lose your job. Guess what? Didn't take the jab. I've never had COVID. And I have a great job now. So God bless you all. And, you know, God is in control. Thank you, Gail. Next speaker is Wiley Dorison. Hey everyone, my name is Wiley Dorison and I am here on behalf of my friends who were terminated because of the vaccine mandates. In November of 2021, I didn't even know what the Port of Seattle was. Since then, I've gotten to know some of your former employees. They're among the bravest and most thoughtful people I know. They are truly unsung heroes who ensure our modern society functions. My question is, why would you deny them employment for not participating in an experimental medical treatment, especially now that the public health guidance has been abandoned as ineffective? I'm concerned that the capricious decisions made by the port to deny these employees work will have consequences for the vital services they provide to ensure that our community functions. That's all I have today. Thank you. Thank you, Wiley. So that concludes our signups today. Is there anyone else present on the team's call or present in the room today who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state and spell your name and state the topic related to the conduct of the port you wish to speak about for the record. All right, seeing none, at this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments we may have received. Pardon me, thank you. Mr. Commission President, members of the Commission, Mr. Executive Director, we've received one written comment today from Robin Briggs, Seattle resident who urges against the approval of agenda item 8L, stating that there is no need to advertise to tourists citing environmental concerns and advocates alternatively for funding for offshore windmills to increase clean electrical capacity and local high wage jobs. And that concludes the written comments received today. Great, thank you, Clerk Hart. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda. All right, items on the consent agenda are considered routine. It will be adopted by one motion. 
Items removed from the consent agenda may be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, 8F, 8G, 8H, 8I, 8J, HK, L, HL, and HM. Do I have a motion? Mr. President, I move we remove item 8L from the consent agenda. Okay, a motion is made to move, remove 8L. Um, Second. Okay, it's been seconded. Any others? Chair Cho, can I ask a yes. clarifying question of the clerk? I know in, in recent correspondence you shared with us that there would be a moment ahead of the vote on consent agenda to comment on items that don't necessarily require being pulled. Correct. Is that this moment or after? After we get a first and a second on the entire consent agenda, we can comment on it. That is okay, correct. Great. I'll yes. hold my comments till then. Okay. There is a motion on the floor to remove 8L. 8L. Right. But is, so I just want to clarify, is that because you have questions for uh, staff or is it because you want to speak to it? Both. Okay. Okay. And just to, for clarification purposes, pulling something from the consent agenda doesn't require a motion to do that. So we can remove it either at approval mm -hmm. of agenda or at this stage. Great. So can I uh, get a motion to approve the consent agenda as amended? Second. All right. It was first and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Can I make a comment before we? Go? Yep. Uh, I I know that there has been uh, on the um, item eight J. Uh, I want to speak to that because there's been some uh, public discussion around this topic, uh, and I would refer the public to the original passage of, or approval by the commission of, of this project because I think some of the questions that came up this time were the very same questions that came up the first time, and there has not been a material change in the in the project that we approved initially, which is why I don't feel it's necessary to pull from consent and relitigate that. I do think there was a lot of misconceptions uh, in the public discussion that, that I was uh, a part of around this project, in particular as it relates to some of the corollary attributes of this project. Um, and so I would refer folks back to that initial conversation, and maybe staff could um, uh, provide the exact date of that, because I think there's good founding documents there in particular around other uh, efforts that we're making uh, with regard to mode shift at, in our ground tra transportation access plan, which is why I'm, I'm comfortable with this remaining on consent. Excellent. Thank you for those comments. Any other comments from commissioners before we take a vote? I do. Commissioner Fellman? Uh, thank you. I was just wondering, um, at some point in time, I'd love to have, when we're talking about this roadway conversation in the future that we talk about, opportunities when we might be bring the light rail station or the access, facilitate the access of light rail either through the moving sidewalks we've talked about for years and seemed to me that this would have been an opportunity. But I, I do want to just point out that item 8B, um, you know, it's a, it's a uh, significant um, uh, sum of money we're talking about for updating our HVAC system. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry, it is not that one. I'm sorry. That was just 8K. Thank you. Um, it, it does say in the memo that we're going to look at uh, 
potential savings for greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, other considerations like that. And I was just hoping that um, that, that process would, be, would include the, the formal review of, uh, of the sustainable evaluation framework in which the commission could um, have a chance to review options in which we could put in perhaps you know, more efficient systems than uh, would be just code meeting opportunities. So um, it was vague in the memo as to whether it would trigger the sustainable evaluation framework. While it did acknowledge the fact that this will be looked at, I'm just asking that we give it a full evaluation. Great. Thank you, Commissioner Feldman. Uh, Commissioner Clerk, go ahead and call the roll. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Coggins for approval of consent agenda. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Feldman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. Thank you very much. And now we will move on to considering um, the item that was pulled from consent, which was item 8L. Executive metric. If you want to, or if you want to introduce the item, um, uh, Clerk Hart, and then we'll have Steve Metric introduce it. Thank All you. Right. I'll go ahead and read that into the record. Just one moment to get there. This is item 8L, authorization for the executive director to approve a contract with State of Washington Tourism designated for collaborative international tourism marketing efforts in the amount of $800,000. We do have a presentation if it's wanted. Mr. Executive Director, you'll let, have to let us know. Commissioners, establishing international tourism is a top priority for the Port of Seattle and its partners like Visit Seattle and the State of Washington. This action will activate additional markets in Asia, France, and the Nordics with potential activation in India, Mexico, and South America as well. Uh, presenters uh, this afternoon are Dave McFadden, Managing Director, Economic Development Division, and Nick Leonti, uh, Director, Tourism Development. Um, so we can either go through the presentation or answer commissioner questions, whichever commissioners would like. Do commissioners have questions off the top? All right, we're going to go through the presentation, it seems. Go okay. ahead. Good afternoon, commissioners. Good afternoon, Executive Director Metric. Um, today we're asking for authorization for some contracts that will support international tourism marketing. And let's go to the next slide, please. So as some of our callers, especially Dave Blanford with the State of Washington Tourism said, well, we've seen some t recovery in the tourism industry. Um, we've seen a bounce at sea, we've seen a lift at our cruise terminals, but the folks that haven't quite shown up are international travelers and visitors. Uh, the stats clearly show that their visitation is still um, way down compared to, you know, previous pandemic. I think you probably understand there are many reasons for that. But what we see is an upside opportunity. We do see a bounce. We're seeing visitors start coming from China and other places that have really been shut down, not visiting for the last three years. So we want to take advantage of that momentum and get out and prime the pump and um, sell the opportunity of visiting Washington State, Seattle, flying through sea, and getting on one of our cruise ships or one of our partners' cruise ships. So with that, what I'd like to do is really turn it over to my tourism development director, Nick Liani, who can provide some more details. 
Hello, Commission. Thanks for having us here. Um, always happy to talk tourism. Uh, if we could go to the next slide, please. Well, um, this is about reestablishing that international market. Um, you can see the second bullet point here that international passengers are still 24% below 2019 numbers. Um, and this agreement with State of Washington Tour Tourism will allow us to um, strengthen that brand and get back where we need to be in international tourism because we won't see a full recovery of the tourism economy until international visitors return. Um, we can go to the next slide, please. Again, we can go over the, the importance of inter international visitors to a destination. They, they visit longer. They will visit destinations throughout the state. They have those nice long vacation times where they can actually do a cruise here in Seattle and spend time before or after their cruise and explore the entire state and region. Um, they visit during off-peak times, uh, including weekdays as opposed to weekends. They visit urban and rural areas, and they help support those important nonstop uh, routes to our airport. Um, next, next slide, please. Um, so, in partnership with the state and Visit Seattle, we, uh, you know, we're evaluating markets all the time, and these are our criteria for prioritizing those markets. Um, you know, right now we we have. Uh, we have representation in the UK, Germany, Australia, um, but that's really just a foundational level. We need to be able to expand that to make a difference here. So as we're evaluating markets, we're looking at those direct flights. We're looking at the impact that business-to-business -business marketing has, because that's our main focus, is working with the travel trade and travel media to drive that visitation. Um, the profile of the visitors there, what is that time off? What's their disposable income? Um, what do, we, do they share a... Uh, the passion for responsible travel that we're looking to encourage here in our state. Um, and obviously just the size of the countries, the affinity for U.S. travel. Um, we look at the cruise um, market for those regions. In addition to visa waiver status, you know, there are visa waiver countries that it's easier to get in with just your passport. We see places like uh, in India right now where it's, it can be up to a two-year two wait just to have an interview for your visa which um, obviously can impact someone's vacation planning and our ability to uh, work with them and encourage them to, to come. So we look at all those factors when we're looking at which countries we should be um, focusing on next. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so you can see where we, where, we are, where we are prioritized markets here, UK and Ireland, Germany. Um, as Liz Johnson mentioned in her, um, in, in her two minutes, uh, we just started representation in Australia in partnership with them. We're looking at Japan, South Korea, China, France, and Benelux. Um, and there are additional regions beyond this, obviously, where we're looking at those criteria. If they can elevate up to this, we will uh, be happy to put, put our efforts in there where we can see some ROI. And again, we're working with mainly travel trade and travel media. There will be a little bit of consumer effort here, but um, we really see that impact comes through working with the travel trade in a B2B fashion. Um, next slide, please. So these are our priorities in working with the state. Obviously, the state, um, you know, that office didn't, didn't exist for a while. Uh, um, and now they are finding their way and building that brand internationally. And that's what's so important about working together with them and with Visit Seattle is to build up that brand um, and to not be competing with each other in these international markets. Um, 
So that, that's, that, that's top of this list, is to get those foundational um, pieces in as a partnership with the uh, other important organizations that have a global reach in our region. We're focused on education of the travel trade, uh, keeping Washington State and Seattle as a top of mind destination. And, and of course, we want to inspire um, visitation to our area and reflect the diversity and inclusivity of, of Washington in everything that we do. Um, next slide, please. So the scope of work looks pretty simple here. There's a lot of work in these bullet points. Uh, nice that it fits on one slide. Um, obviously, a lot of strategy communication. We'll be in regular meetings with the state regarding these funds and with Visit Seattle. Um, again, we mentioned the in-market representation. That isn't one of the organizations taking the lead over the other. It's a true partnership. We meet regularly. We strategize together. We make these decisions together um, as, a, as a region. Um, we can go to the next slide, please. A uh, quick look at the, what the difference is, what, what are we would do without this agreement, what we do with it. Um, see the $400,000 there, and this will allow us to enhance the markets that we're already in, to make a greater impact where we know like the UK is our top market. It's the top market in the US, it's the top market in Washington, and we can continue to, to um, get great ROI out of markets like that. And we could also, this will allow us to expand into those Asia markets and France Benelux region and really make a difference in, um, uh, as a cl collaborative partnership with uh, the state. And uh, next slide, please. This is just the conclusion that you know, wraps up uh, how great it is to work together with these partners. I know we, we've, yeah, each organization has had different efforts internationally. This really helps us streamline those efforts and build the brand internationally to make maximum impact for all Washingtonians. Great, thank you so much for the presentation. Questions from commissioners? Commissioner Hazagawa. Sure, thank you so much for <clears throat> walking us through this sure. um, budget request. Um, I guess, you know, just starting from the top, as a port, transportation is what we do. We move people and things from place to place. And we balance that with also knowing that the transportation sector is one of the largest contributors of greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions. So uh, we do have our director of um, sustainability in the room as well. Um, we can call on her if, if we need to. But I'm um, wondering how um, our um, tourism plan and our strategy balances against our environmental goals. And uh, so let me further expand that, understanding that our environmental goals address things that are directly within our purview, right? So crews would be one example of that, or things that are scope three emissions and, you know, things that are not directly within our purview, but the ways that people would, would get here in order to enjoy tourism, right? So like the airlines um, has, uh, I know that we've facilitated a, a number of public conversations and conventions on ecotourism, um, and um, so I'm just uh, wondering if the how the two shops talk to each other. Okay. I can take an initial stab at that. Sure. And I'd Andy, also like I to invite Mark yes, to to the podium. Um, I think you've heard our our department um, really emphasize responsible tourism. That's something that probably we weren't talking about several years ago. But it's obviously very important. It's becoming really, I think, um, 
the set of ethics that should guide our marketing and promotions efforts. We should be guiding people to responsibly travel and to those ecotourism destinations and areas where they are responsibly managed and yet we can show off the best of Washington State. And so this is a work in progress. You know, we've, we've put more emphasis into our grant programs on this level. We're certainly trying to market and position ourselves as um, ecologically oriented and responsible as a state and as a port. But there's more work to do, and I'd like to turn it over to Sandy to just provide a few comments, too. I think uh, Sandy Kilroy, a Senior Director of Environment and Sustainability. And it's a great question, um, and I th one of the key strategies for our uh, environmental program and our uh, ultimate you know, uh, strategy against climate change and greenhouse gas reduction is really to transform the industries, right? It's um, looking at holistically at uh, aviation and maritime like crews and, and saying how are we going to transform those industries to remove um, those pollutants uh, from their operations. So it's, uh, I would say, kind of moves in parallel. Uh, you know, there's different strategies and tools that we use um, to address uh, reducing pollutants over time. Um, but the overall key one is we want to um, create clean fuels and a clean uh, transition to these industries. And so I, I guess that's what I would say is, is how they dovetail um, a little bit, so it's it's not kind of a one or the other uh, type of situation. I think um, you know it's it's squarely within our mission to be able to promote the equitable and sustainable um, movement of people and goods of our of our economy. Um, how what's an example of how an international tra traveler could be a proactive contributor towards sustainability efforts? through traveling? Uh, well, that is another great question. I think, I mean, one very practical way um, is uh, the individual can uh, utilize programs like we have, like the Good Traveler program, to uh, purchase um, offsets to their current travel mm. um, as we look to transition fuels um, over the long term. So that's something um, that a international traveler, any traveler coming through SeaTac uh, uh, in or out can use as they look at their own um, at their own carbon footprint. I mean that sounds like a good idea and wildly ambitious, but are um, international travelers actually participating in a program like that at SeaTac Airport? Uh, I, I would have to get the data on exactly international travelers, but um, our information right now on the Good Traveler program that we utilize at SeaTac, that SeaTac travelers are the highest users of that program um, nationally in the airports um, that use it. So our uh, continuation of, of helping to promote that will, will be one step in that direction. So you're telling me the international travelers that are actually coming through our gateway are buying, they're giving money towards a program that advances sustainability and transforming our transportation sector? Well, I, I, I'll need to get the data on how much is domestic versus international, oh, okay. but um, we'll see if we can get that split. What concourse does it do um, most international travelers come through? <laughs> That's an aviation question. I mean, <laughs> sometimes they, it depends if they clear customs first. 
It depends on different it's points. It's the international rivals. Oh, that's what it. I come to with. The answer is A. Uh, is, uh, a. a. And, uh, and where, where is the program located? So uh, there's a couple of places. There is a kiosk, I think, in the A terminal, and there's also uh, a website that um, you can use and signage uh, in different places throughout okay, the airport. So I am hearing that international travelers could fe plausibly be a target audience for to be able to participate in, in that program. Correct. Okay. Um, so now let's talk about the budget breakdown because we're talking. If what I care about is equity, um, then I care about where this money is being spent. You're telling me that without approval of this budget, ask that zero dollars are going to be targeted towards um, travelers from Asia or um, or France. No, I I believe the budget breakdown shows that we are investing new funding in Asian markets only with approval. With, with approval. Yeah, with approval. Right. 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 Correct. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't capture your question. There would be some basic foundational efforts there that could fall within that last budget line item there of um, trade shows, sales missions, fam trips. Okay. There's a line for that. Um, but as far as in-market representation or specific proje projects with agencies in those markets, that's not currently in the budget. So are we budgeting the piece of tourism that is squarely within our purview, which is cruise, um, budgeting for advertisement of cruise, or are we budgeting for broader statewide we, tourism? We have a cruise focus, but definitely a, a broader, we have an interest in driving visitation throughout the entire state, and that's uh, part of my charge here to work with these organizations to do that. Are you so. working with some of the inland ports or others, um, other organizations uh, statewide? I. I have not personally made contact with everyone yet. Still relatively new here, but I'm working ma mainly my contacts have been with State of Washington Tourism and Visit Seattle and some of the other DMOs throughout the region. Um, you know, I'm continuing to, to, to grow in this role, but uh, our focus has been on driving that visitation from these major markets, and the best way we can do that is with SWT and Visit Seattle. Okay, and then why are we advertising, um, spending public funds to advertise for an industry that has recovered ex well post-pandemic? It, it hasn't fully, fully recovered, and um, it needs to be, uh, you always need these efforts in order to remain competitive in the market. So it's not something that um, will go away. But as we saw, international arrivals were still down 24%. Um, and these are the international visitors that stay longer and spend more, more of an impact, more ROI on these international visitors. So that's why it continues to be a focus. And it'll always be a key part of the tourism economy. And if we aren't focused on that, we will miss out on that too competing destinations. So this is this is going to be, this marketing, I'm hearing you say, is primarily focused towards cruise and um, not for, uh, how, how would travelers coming in for things like the World Cup or um, things, how, how are they going to benefit from this? I actually think that we are marketing the entire state of Washington tourism yep. opportunities. Okay. And what we're going to do is add a suggestive sale around cruise and stay. Um, we create a brochure and market collateral materials around cruise and stay opportunities. We will continue to do that. We will support our state partner to do that. But the overall emphasis is really that Washington State is open for visitation. Okay. And that's really what the marketing message is in a broad sense. The marketing message I think is appropriate around so that, so that folks know what the folks are traveling via cruise. 
what this um, promotion does is it lets folks know about where they about stay opportunities associated with cruise or are you also trying to sell promote cruise as an option for travel is this for like local for um, for hospitality or is this for and will hospitality actually see benefit from this yeah this is um, we're mainly focused on those overnight stays throughout Washington State. Throughout Washington State. Yeah. Okay. That's are those like that's major simple. chains or are these small mom and pops? Can be can be all of the above. Okay. How how okay. So so by working with the state of Washington, we've used the term destination marketing organizations. And that's the visit Seattle's, visit Yakima's, visit Wenatchee's, visit Spokane's all over the state. And it's that's through great. that network that that's we That's what really, I understood we when we've received this briefing before. That's what right. I've always right. understood is that that's tourism it. is around tourism broadly that's, and not right. just around cruise. So that's a concerning no, like, no, new element. No, this isn't just around cruise. This okay. is broad, broad tourism promotion. Right, yeah. And if you looked at our scope of work with Australia it's broad tourism about six bullets and then there is a mention of promoting cruise down at the bottom okay so is there also an awareness campaign associated with this uh, with recruitment for um, best practices for sustainable tourism that we identified as a port that is part of the Washington State brand and part of the marketing message we're sending no further questions Thank you, Commissioner Hazagawa. Any other questions? Commissioner Mohammed? Thank you for those questions, Commissioner Hazagawa. Some of them I had in mind. Um, actually, Director Kilroy, if you could stay, that would be great. <laughs> Just, uh, so my, my question is specifically around this contract and the partnership with the State of Washington Tourism. Um, do, you, do you see this as in alignment with our Century Agenda goals? and? Do you see um, alignment with our clean air strategy, or do you feel like this in any way is undermining that, or are we aligned? I want to say we're aligned because um, our, our overall strategy is to um, decarbonize both the aviation and maritime industries as a whole. Uh, so I don't... Um, I don't see them as misaligned, though we have work ahead of us, right? I mean, we have a lot of work ahead of us using different strategies and different tools to address how we decarbonize uh, both the aviation and the maritime sectors. And so um, I think that uh, the tourism isn't, uh, the, the tourism plan that, that's laid out, I, I don't see as a, a, as a barrier to achieving um, those goals. Um, we should be moving in concert with those. And I think to Commissioner Haskawa's point, there's ways for us to utilize those travelers as advocates, as educational opportunities and, and advocates to raise awareness and engage in helping us move those solutions forward. Because Great. some of them will take political, you know, uh, public and political acceptance. Great. And Director Kilroyd and McFadden, um, Director McFadden, um, would, could you guys share uh, just a little bit about your department's partnership and working together on promoting sustainable tourism and what that looks like? Maybe, um, I, you know, for me, I, I hear it all the time. Uh, we hear about sustainable 
tourism goals and how that aligns, but I think maybe the public doesn't always hear that, so I'd just love to hear you guys describe that. I'll pick up the other half and say, um, yeah, we are aligned and you know, part of that is we're excited about the Green Cruise Corridor. Um, that's absolutely instrumental to the future of a line of business we have. Um, it's something that attracts tourism and it's something where we um, see benefits from you know, that effort and fully support it. If I looked at our tourism grant program, we put more and more money out every year for responsible tourism or ecotourism. And we really got that idea in Genesis from our strong commitment to sustainability and just literally wrote it in, in as an underwriting practice for our grants. And so there's a couple examples. Um, you know, if I flip the page, there's a lot of things outside of tourism, especially on business development, where we're deeply aligned. You know, if you're looking at um, hydrogen or clean energy, that, that needs a spot at the port, and that brings economic development and real estate to the table. So we're deeply embedded in working together on a variety of levels. Commissioner Calkins. So in the memo, you mentioned um, using ROI as a, as a metric for the value of contributing this. Can you tell me? What you determined the ROI of this 800,000 would be and right. how, what you felt like was a, a threshold that it needed to pass to justify it. Right, and, and tracking is traditionally tough in, in the tourism world, but you can see where destination marketing, you look at um, like Brand USA, they say for every dollar that they put into destination marketing, over $20 is returned. So those are the type of numbers we're hoping to achieve with our tracking. Um, and we get reports from each of our in-market reps based on, um, you know, we'll get those, um, for media, we'll get the value of the media so we can see those types of numbers. Um, but just, and, and I actually haven't seen them here, but the um, visitor spending numbers, we don't, I haven't seen those specifically for Seattle, but um, those numbers can be, you know, two, three hundred dollars a day per visitor. And based on the number of visitors that come to this region, you know, the, the, the investment, the ROI is there for, for an investment of $400,000 that could bring millions. I, I don't want to throw a number out there, but, um, but traditionally destination marketing. I think suffice to say, if the, if the ROI were two to one, let's say. That'd be pretty good. I think anybody would yeah. say, I would put my pension yeah. in a guaranteed two to one return. Right. Uh, if it's 21, that would be remarkable. Yes. Uh, anybody, any business owner That's would say, if there's a business line where if I spend yeah. $20 on marketing or $1 on marketing at $20 in revenue, that's, that's yeah. probably a pretty good um, turnaround. Yeah, and in my experience, that's, that's where that number has been. I haven't seen those numbers here, but. Um, the, so I think what I'm also hearing um, is this concern about, are we just uh, creating a situation which we're furthering environmental damage through an industry that is intrinsically bad yeah. for the environment? And, and uh, I, that is an internal conversation we need right. to have uh, and have been engaged in for years now. My personal uh, position on this is that uh, we are, um, as an institution, working to lead responsible tourism as uh, it, to, to model the way. And if we unilaterally decide uh, we're no longer going to participate in tourism, that sends a very strong message. And I think there are strong and, and very intelligent arguments for 
that as an environmentalist to say we are simply no longer going to participate in, in that particular thing. I have not personally come to that conclusion. I believe that uh, the longer term better approach is to say we need to create a scenario in which uh, the ability for an industry to adopt the, the highest environmental standards for itself is, is a better position which is why I'm not interested in making it harder for tourists to come to Seattle. What I do want to do is ensure that the cost of their tourism mm -hmm. is accounted for in the costs that we charge. And so if that means that we need to charge a higher tariff rate at our terminals to cover the cost of plugging in the ships or uh, to account for the work that we need to do to increase IMO standards for the cruise ships, to, to increase uh, aviation standards for emissions, then we should do that. And it should be the tourists, the passengers who pay the price of that. But if we shut that all down, we lose the very revenue that we need to be able to, um, the, the resources that we need to make that change. And I know that reasonable people disagree on this point. That is currently where I stand on this and why I will knowing that there is a uh, positive ROI for this that where I'm going to vote. Thank you, Commissioner Caucus. Right. Commissioner Feldman. Uh, thanks for the presentation. And I really am delighted by the fact that we're getting this alignment between the three agencies that are all in the same business and that we're more and more um, marketing the environmentally responsible tourism component of it. So we're all singing the same song and setting the right sort of expectations for the public who's coming here. It's not Disneyland. It's one of the great places left on the planet, and you should come here first by packing your sense of responsibility. That message is getting out. I've been helping lead that effort, and I'm delighted that people are very much aligning with it. But we do have a foundational problem in that the Port of Seattle is dealing with ships and planes. These are the last to decarbonize, They're the heaviest industries out there, and pose the greatest challenge. So we have to embrace that challenge wholeheartedly. And the promotion of alternative fuels is like the one easiest transition that we can move to. And certainly for the aviation industry, sustainable aviation fuels is really the only near-term option there is, although production is lagging behind demand. However, we're working actively on that effort. So it's not like we're ignoring the problem. In fact, we're leading on that issue. And with regards to having infrastructure at the, at the waterfront, right, we have been one of the first to uh, provide shore power and we expand shore power and we're actively pursuing grants and opportunities to further our shore power efforts. So it's not like um, we're ignoring this challenge. It is part of our job though. Now the, um, the, the idea that uh, we have the thing like good traveler program, just doing credits is a good thing, it's an interim step, but one of the things I've been pursuing and wanting to pursue further is to better promote it, I'm delighted to hear that we have a higher percentage than other places, but I want to have those benefits to be generated locally. Because I, I think in addition to the carbon sequestration of trees and things like that, I'd like to see the communities around the airport benefit from that. And so I know that's novel and I know it's a national program, but I'd like to see if we can't manage a way to show that th those impacts are not just climatological but conventional pollutants as well. But I think ultimately, this whole uh, idea of uh, promoting you know, statewide tourism for me was I didn't want just Washington State promote come here to go to Alaska. I want you to come here to spend money here. And I want you to some of the best places left on the planet are in rural Washington. So those dollars go that much further 
when you spend it in those communities. But if you go and just send more pressure on those communities, tribal lands are, there's already a tremendous amount of pushback right now. If, you know, even communities that want to have tourism don't want to have too much tourism, and certainly the environment can't take it either. So we have to wholly take responsibility for the additional pressure we create, and I'm delighted that this year we are supporting the budgets of some of the natural resource agencies who are the stewards of the lands that we're directing people to. So it's, it is reality, increasing pressure, but we also have to increase our sense of responsibility, and I'm delighted that the port is trying to step up in that way. Great. Thank you, Commissioner Fallon. Commissioner Hazagawa. I have a follow-up question. Um, starting with a thought, um, I am so saddened by the continued rise in anti-Asian sentiment here at home, including within King County and Washington State. And um, I think that what the world needs is fundamental human connection. And I think that our role in the port is important in being able to help facilitate a global community. We are the closest port to Asia. Um, and so when I'm looking at this budget and it says zero dollars without approval of this asked towards marketing in Japan, Korea, and China, um, it raises a couple questions for me. One is, do you see the rising tensions between America, the United States and China as having a role in impacting travel between the two countries? Um, and do you see a greater need for intentional investment into um, Asia markets specifically? Yes, uh, I mean, I, um, I know the importance of the Asian markets, especially Japan, South Korea, which we're looking to lead off with here. Um, I, I wish we had enough budget to do all these efforts in, in each one of these countries, and especially being, as you mentioned, the closest airport. Um, we should be welcoming, right? We want, we want to, and that's part of what we want to do as our whole program is, um, again, display the values of Washington State and make sure that we're welcoming to visitors from everywhere. And that means working with the hospitality industry, working with hotels to, so that they know how to be welcoming to all different people from everywhere, people from all walks of life. Um, and obviously before the pandemic, Japan, China, South Korea were huge markets, and they've just been a little slower to come back, a little slower for, to move up that priority list for us based on the criteria that we have. But they are significant markets that will, will come back, um, and we need to make sure that we reestablish Washington State and Seattle as a top-of-mind destination for them. Otherwise, they'll go to other destinations that are more welcoming. Okay. Um so um, I think that that is critical. I think that us being intentional about marketing ourselves and telling our story and showcasing the humanity, the, the, the intrinsic value of who we are in this space that, that, we, that we're in um, to Asia, I think has tremendous, um, um, tremendous value. Um, but can you help me make sense of the budget? So with approval, you're mm -hmm. looking for $690,000 to be able to spend on this, but we're, you're asking us to approve 800,000. What happens to the other 110K? Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, could you? If you uh, refer to page nine of the presentation, it says that with oh, approval, it'll be a total yeah. of 690,000 with a right. breakdown to target countries that will. Um, okay. Well, that's okay. So one, I, I think that's um, annual versus, this is a two year agreement. So, oh, so the it's additional 400K for two, the next two years. Understood. Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's annual the, number. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you for that for that clarification. No further questions. All right, thank you very much. So we'll now consider item 8AL for a vote. Uh, do I need a motion and a second? Can I get a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Great. Commissioner, uh, Commissioner, Commission Clerk Hart, please call the roll. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Chen. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Yeah. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you very much, Dave and uh, Nick. All right, moving on in the agenda, we have one new item uh, of business today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, authorization for the Executive Director to advertise and award up to three major public works contracts, to execute utility agreements for the relocation of utilities, to transfer $527,000 of budget from CIPC 800862 terminal security enhancements to support the installation of security bollards to transfer up to three million eight hundred sixty thousand dollars of budget from CIPC 801042 landslide pavement program to support additional pavement rehabilitation and to authorize an additional seventy three million six hundred thousand dollars for the total project authorization of $89,500,000 for the Widen Arrivals Roadway Project at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. Commissioners, <clears throat> the Widen Arrivals Project is critical to relieving high levels of congestion on the main access to Seattle Tacoma International Airport. All of us are familiar with the frequent traffic backups that often extend back to State Road 518 and even I-5. Today's action will be the fourth time the Commission will take a will consider and get briefed and take a vote on this impactful project. Uh, these investments will create dedicated access to the parking garage and drowned transportation center with specific benefits to independent taxi and transportation network company drivers as well as other commercial ground transportation services like courtesy vans and shuttles for local parking operators and hotelers. In addition, it will reduce impacts to surrounding local communities by easing the congestion that can divert traffic onto International Boulevard. While this project is a roadway enhancement in itself, it is also serves as an essential enabling project in pursuit of our broader ground tra transportation access plan. As part of this presentation, we'll discuss ways to ultimately reduce single occupancy vehicle trips to the airport. We believe we can and should pursue our critical environmental priorities as we also address important customer service needs. This project is part of our upgrade SEA effort and the presenters this afternoon are Arif Gauss, Chief Operating, uh, Chief Operating Officer at the Airport Director and the first time Arif has been with us today at the Commission. Welcome, welcome back to the port. And, and also I have other speakers. I know uh, Peter Lindsay here, Senior Manager Airport Operations. But I guess also we have uh, Heather Bornhurst and uh, Adrian Down, and uh, and I don't think Lance is joining us this afternoon. Correct. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Arif. Welcome, Arif, back to the board. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commission and Executive Director. Uh, for the record, again, Arif Gauss, COO at SeaTac Airport, and today you get three for the price of one. So I'm just going to introduce this presentation and then hand it over to Pete to my left over here. Uh, 
so first slide, please. Yes. So on the left here, you see many parts to a, a puzzle or pieces, and all of these are important for us to deliver our long-term vision for SeaTac Airport. Uh, but they can pretty much be summarized by the items on the right there uh, in terms of if we can deliver these items, we are pretty much achieving most of the uh, pieces of the puzzle. And if I can just quickly re recap, uh, we're currently a four-star uh, SkyTrack rated airport, and we're aiming to be a five-star. Uh, we want to have a maximum 75-minute uh, connection time uh, from, uh, you know, to get, get to your flight. Uh, and that would include a 45-minute maximum from the clock tower on the freeway, uh, airport freeway, to the gate. And then we want to raise our overall level of service for the airport to an optimum level. And, and then uh, we want to be in the top 25 for airport ratings from uh, uh, kind of an ACI uh, survey that's given to our customers. We want to be in the top 25 of that. And then, of course, uh, you know, very important that we're uh, going to be the greenest airport in the country. So uh, the next slide, please. <clears throat> the widened arrivals uh, project helps us towards specifically achieving uh, three strategic objectives uh, set out by the commission and aligns with them on the century agenda. The first one, advancing this region as a leading tourism destination and business gateway. So this particular project will meet the region's air transportation needs by delivering vital facilities and infrastructure in a sustainable and cost-effective manner. Secondly, be the greenest and most energy-efficient port in North America. This project will help us meet or exceed agency requirements for stormwater leaving port-owned or operated facilities. And finally, to become a model for equity, diversity, and inclusion. This will increase our utilization of WIMBY and DBE firms and elim eliminate disparity of access to uh, opportunities. And here we're particularly talking about the uh, ground transportation contractors. And with that, I will hand it over to Pete to go into a bit more detail. Uh, thank you, Arif. And for the record, Peter Lindsay, Senior Manager, Landside Operations. Thank you, President Cho, Commissioners, Executive Director. Next slide, please. I'm going to say a few things about GTAP, Ground Transportation Access Program. It's the uh, airport's programmatic uh, initiative to uh, solve for a number of uh, policy issues around uh, environmental emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, roadway congestion, uh, customer choice, and social equity. This slide, uh, many of the commissioners have seen before. This is our uh, framework slide that guides us from our work to action starting with the principles that have been adopted by this commission previously. And I want to focus on the right-hand uh, uh, column here, looking at GTAP and the capital projects. Widen arrivals is listed as one of those strategies that we're discussing today as just one of the many tools, the pieces of the puzzle that Eric referred to, uh, that allows us to meet our goals. And uh, in particular, our goal is related to uh, mission reduction, for instance, uh, TNCs, taxis, and parking are uh, preferred modes in, in some sense because they have uh, less of an impact um, from an emission standpoint. And so when we look at this improvement, the improvements that Heather will describe, um, we're looking at uh, you know, better access for these modes and better access for HOV modes, including buses and transit. Um, so we are trying to improve um, um, 
the access and the, the uh, customer service related to this. Uh, in terms of that 45-minute clock tower to the gate metric, and with all the planning and good work we've done in engineering around this project, I think we've demonstrated that that could be achieved. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Heather Bornhorst, and she's going to talk some specifics about the Widen Arrivals Project. Thanks, Heather. Thank you, Peter. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director Metric. Next slide, please. Uh, for the record, my name is Heather Bornhorst. I'm the Landside Program Leader within Aviation Project Management. So Widen Arrivals is a roadway improvement project. With the LATREL Transit System located in the median of our Northern Airport Expressway, we'll be widening and shifting the terminal roadway system to the west in order to provide two additional lanes, one for parking and one for ground transportation. The utility infrastructure that is located under the roadway system will also be reloca relocated, and portions that are at the end of their useful life will be replaced. The utility infrastructure systems include power, communications, water, stormwater, and natural gas. The North Rental Car Transit Curb will be relocated further north in order to expand the utilization of the curbside at the main terminal. We gain approximately 200 linear feet. The bridge that is no longer in use between departures and the main garage will be demolished, and in fact, it has already been completed. The project will also include typical roadway improvements, such as signage, illumination, intelligent transportation system components, as well as landscaping and irrigation improvements. The last two scope items, the installation of the security bollards and additional pavement rehabilitation, are scopes of work from other project efforts that we will deliver as part of this project in order to reduce the overall cost to the port and impacts to our customers, tenants, operators, and employees. Next slide, please. This exhibit depicts the uh, completed improvements for the project. North is to your right, the terminal is on the left side of the screen, and South 170 Street is on the right side of the screen. Starting on the right side, uh, you will see the widening improvements as we head south towards the terminal. We have identified the airfield retaining wall and the roadway realignment to the west, as well as the retaining wall along arrivals and the rental car transit stop. As you can see, the two additional lanes are providing direct access for parking and ground transportation. Landscaping improvements are included throughout the project, but this exhibit only shows the landscaping improvements to be completed as part of our main project effort. The areas in black reflect only erosion control treatment, and I will talk a little bit later about those areas as further in the discussion. Next slide, please. So why are we doing this project? In the early 1970s, the airport underwent a significant expansion that constructed the two-level terminal roadway system that we have today. The original facility was designed to support an activity level of 25 million annual passengers, and we've extended its use by relocating ground transportation services into the main garage and the Northeast GT lot. We've also relocated rental car operations off-site to the consolidated rental car facility. Airport activity levels have returned, and in 2022, we reached an activity level of nearly 46 million annual passengers. During the summer, the queuing and congestion levels returned and queues extended back to the clock tower. During the holiday peak periods, the queues extended further back onto State Route 518 since we experienced more meter greater activity during those periods. Our traffic modeling efforts have indicated that as airport con activity continues to increase, we would anticipate the queues to reach the I-5-405 interchange regularly during the summer months in the next few years. 
This is a queue length of over two and a half miles with an average travel time of 16 minutes. This represents a significant impact to our customers, tenants, operators, and employees, as well as an impact to the local communities. Next slide, please. In 2019, the Commission also adopted the Ground Transportation Policy Directive. My colleague Peter spoke to this briefly. Um, the objective is to reduce uh, private vehicle pickup and drop off and to maintain the 15 minute travel time from clock tower to the curb or parking garage. We are supporting this effort by in two ways. First, we're providing additional capacity by reducing the overall congestion and queuing on the airport roadway system, ensuring that we meet that 15 minute travel time goal. Second, in order to reduce private vehicle pickup and drop off, we need to shift our customers from those modes to other access modes. The strategies and tactics are focused on HOV modes like light rail transit, our ground transportation services, and long-term public parking. If we are successful in these strategies um, by shifting activity to these modes, this project will provide additional lane capacity necessary to support those operations. Next slide, please. The project is to be delivered through four construction contracts. The bridge demolition contract is the first one and it has already been executed and completed. We achieved substantial completion this past January as you can see in the photos. The second contract includes the majority of the work. We have completed final design and are preparing to advertise for construction bids in the next month. This contract will also be supported by multiple utility agreements, which we're currently finalizing. We have also selected the artists for the retaining wall improvements. Uh, that is the retaining wall along the airfield that I mentioned previously. And we are cons um, and we're in the process of finalizing those details with the artist. Next slide, please. The third contract includes the fabrication and installation of the canopy over the rental car transit curb. This work was separated from the main contract, so additional time could be taken to complete the foundation design, given the complexity of the underlying service tunnel structure. We have completed 30% design, and we anticipate completing design later this summer. We have also selected the artists for the transit seating in this location. I mentioned previously that in the location exhibit that it only reflected the erosion control treatment in some areas. The challenge is that the landscaping improvements in those areas uh, will be displaced by the proposed future roadway improvements identified in our sustainable airport master plan. Since we want to be prudent with our capital investments, we have created a fourth contract to provide those additional landscaping improvements in those areas. We have completed 60% design on that work and we are currently keeping it on hold until we get a better understanding of the implementation timeline for SAMP. We'll need to make a decision towards the end of 2024 if, about whether to move forward with those improvements or not. Next slide, please. The current budget for the project is 79.1 million and was based upon our 30% design effort. We have now reached final design and our total estimated cost is now 89.5 million. This is an increase of 10.4 million. These costs are attributed to the following. We see $5 million cost increase for additional construction coordination and phasing. There is a lot of construction going on at the airport and we need to maintain operations for customers, employees, and our operators. We've also, given these changes, we've also seen a significant increase on our stormwater management costs since we'll be needing to maintain multiple systems concurrently. 
we saw a $2.9 million increase in higher than anticipated escalation. These were in areas of medium voltage, uh, traffic control labor, and fuel. We saw an increase in, our inc in the landscaping costs of $1.9 million for the enhanced landscaping uh, considered as part of the landscape master plan vision for the airport. And we also saw an increase of 1.1 million in additional scope changes that included cameras to support operations, the removal of abandoned industrial stormwater, uh, stormwater system infrastructure, and an alignment shift to support future operations during future roadway constructions so that we don't impact our uh, tenants and operators uh, significantly. We are also receiving $6.5 million in federal funding through the Airport Improvement Program. We have also applied for $25 million in grant funds through the 2023 Raise Grant Program. And we hope to hear that we're successful with that this June. This request today also includes the transfer of $527,000 that were authorized as part of the Terminal Security Enhancements Project and up to $3.8 million from the Landside Pavement Program Project. This will allow the Widened Arrivals Project to complete the installation of the ballers at the north end of Arrivals and complete the pavement rehabilitation scope on Air Cargo Road and along the southbound lanes of the Northern Airport Expressway. Again, we're doing this because it's more cost effective to the port and it results in fewer impacts to our customers, tenants, and operators. These funds would be in addition to the 89.5 million that we've identified on the slide, just for transparency. And Commissioner Calkins, this is item 8J that you were talking about previously in the meeting. Next slide, please. As I mentioned, we'll be implementing the project through a series of four construction contracts. The first contract supporting the bridge demolition, we achieved substantial completion this past January. The second contract, which is the majority of the work, should be advertised for construction bids at the end of this quarter, and we plan to achieve uh, substantial completion by first quarter 2026. The third contract for the rental car transit canopy should be advertised later this year, and we hope to reach substantial completion by the end of first quarter 2024. If we move forward with the additional landscaping improvements, we'll need to reach that decision towards the end of 2024 so that we can finish design and complete work again by first quarter 2026. I'm very happy to say, since I'm a big soccer fan, that we'll get all this done before we host FIFA and the World Cup. Next slide, please. Lastly, I wanted to mention the Upgrade SEA cam campaign. External relations and customer experience have put together a comprehensive information and marketing campaign highlighting our capital program. This project will be described as roadway improvements as part of that campaign. The Upgrade SEA team will be leveraging advertising, media tours, social media, as well as a project page on the port's website to convey information to our customers. Next slide, please. This exhibit is an example of the information the Upgrade SEA team will provide on the project page. As you can see, it depicts the overall improvements and how our various user groups will navigate the future roadway system. I would really like to take a moment and recognize the work that this team has done and their vision. In the 25 years that I've been working in the Aviation Capital Program, this is really the most comprehensive and integrated public outreach campaign that I've yet to experience. So I'm really looking forward to working with them as we move forward. Next slide, please. In closing, I'd like to summarize our requested action today for the Commission. We're requesting authority to advertise and award up to three contracts, to execute utility agreements supporting the relocation of utilities for the work, 
transferring $527,000 of budget from the terminal security enhancements and transferring up to $3.8 million of budget from the landsite pavement program. In addition, we're requesting an additional amount of $73.6 million be authorized for a total project authorization of $89.5 million. Are there any questions from the Commission? Questions, Commissioner Calkins. Could we go back to slide 14, I think it was? That map is really helpful. So um, first I want to talk about uh, one of the, what I think is essential complementary efforts by the aviation team on this particular one, which is the, the study being conducted in coordination with NREL and that's using digital twins to look at, you know, to model traffic flows across modes. Give us a little bit of an understanding so far what we know um, from that preliminarily on that study. Um, how are we going to accommodate those 66 million passengers that we need to, to try to accommodate? How does this project play a part of that? At the same time as we, going back to our justification slide on, on page six, work to actually reduce the absolute number of people being picked up and dropped off in single occupancy vehicles on the arrivals and departures drive. So I'll take a, a shot at that. I think to, to answer the first question, um, the role, this is the beginning, I think, of a, thank you, Heather, of uh, improving access for the modes that we look at as um, performing better than a, than a standard uh, private occupancy vehicle. And uh, that means that we need to provide access for those vehicles. So for TNCs, taxis, uh, flat rate vehicles, uh, they are able to make two trips in their very efficient modes because they come in, they drop somebody off, and they pick somebody up on the way out. Ideally, that's what would happen. Um, so we've made some changes just in the immediate term. For, it. for instance, making Helix 3 available for TNCs provides more reliability for re rematch customers. So we've done that. This is along those lines as we're providing that dedicated access, and as you'll see the green line here, um, that dedicated access to the garage where is the, the third floor ground transportation center, the TNCs and taxis will access that area. So, in, so that's one thing is to, to consider that this is the beginning of trying to promote those modes, make sure those modes continue to have preferred access or better access, I should say. They're not in the mix with everybody else as we saw in that earlier part of the presentation, waiting to get to the terminal in a long line of cars out to 518. So that's part of the goals of this project is to separate traffic and provide that access. And I think the second part was about a National Renewable Energy Laboratory and the work. We need to understand the behavioral implications of what uh, both uh, time and uh, energy it takes to get to these facilities and what kind of influence then when we change access that might have on um, on the mode, on mode split. So we often through GTAP talk about our preferred mode goals, trying to reduce that POV mode, sorry, private occupancy vehicle, stay away from acronyms, uh, down to uh, about 30% to meet those 23 emission goals and our overall customer service goals. And so this project supports that. NREL is the next piece. It's, it's a bit more advanced. It takes some analysis and, and um, consideration by this commission about what, what parts of that would be uh, feasible um, and so we're still in those stages and discussions and part of that is just evolving our communication with the Commission through the Aviation Committee and making sure we're bringing those results and conclusions back so that you can review and then we can have a, a dialogue about what the next steps are so that's how I'd respond to that Commissioner and, and Peter can you at. remind us what the yeah. um, percentage right now is of 
of it's around forty percent. Okay, say. so we need yeah. to drop by ten percent. Yeah, and yeah. As as passenger levels climb, even a drop in percentage could still mean an absolute climb. If correct, I'm correct, correct. It, it it's it's always funny to me because it's sort of like a joke in travel that no oh, I have to go pick up my loved ones from the airport and yet that's exactly we're, we're trying to make it so that people would prefer not to get picked up that it's so easy to use other modes that they'll take light rail or they'll take a TNC or a taxi or a shuttle bus or uh, a metro bus and so, and and so I'm deeply appreciative that staff has taken that message from commission and said that is what we're going to work on is is addressing that particular mode shift and i just want to point out some of the things you just said which is that green line that we see there leading from kind of the the orange all traffic to the lower garage that is the dedicated line for transportation network companies and uh, and shuttles and, and taxis correct and yeah. and no po no private occupancy vehicle can go into that part portion of the garage even today, right? Okay. Today it is. Yeah, that's correct. It's, it's, uh, it's only it's authorized for those vehicles. And and then part of the work that we're getting from NREL will help us to understand at maybe at what point in the expressway we begin to to sort of delineate which vehicles can go where. Correct. So we're going to use state of the art traffic modeling to figure out how do we reduce congestion as much as possible whether that's a mile back or a quarter mile back or right where it shows in this, we will use that twin to that digital twin to try to determine that before we put it in practice, right? That's the intent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, and I think that's it. Thank you so much. Okay, and thank great. you for clarifying my uh, misunderstanding what was on consent and what wasn't. And I appreciate that we get to have this conversation. Commissioner Feldman. Thank you again for this ongoing discussion. And uh, I, I guess one of the things, just in the terms of meeting the century gender objective in this term of uh, greenest, most energy efficient port in North America, what we cite for this example is that we're meeting uh, agency requirements for stormwater leaving port owned and operated facilities. That the fact that stormwater management would be the thing that's being called out for this project seems odd. Sorry, so Commissioner, can you refer back to the, the this slide? Is page in three. Of the memo. Is that, is that correct? Of the PowerPoint. Of the PowerPoint. Uh, Clerk, can we go to page three? She's pulling it up. Thank you. Well, it's actually hidden in the blue band. Okay. So, Heather, if you could just uh, speak a little bit mm -hmm. about the civil impacts here. So in terms of what the project is doing, in terms of the brick and mortar that we're building, um, it is true that we're only improving our stormwater facilities uh, to meet this objective. However, this project is providing uh, additional lane capacity for ground transportation and public parking that we've talked about, which will help those future policies that we put in place as part of the ground transportation framework. So it seemed a little disingenuous to claim more because we're really not doing it as part of the project outside of we're setting the framework to support what's coming. Does that help? So I, I appreciate the clarification. It's still um, not really what uh, ultimately the, it's like the reason for the construction versus the construction project, right? I mean, so we're talking about in the course of building this, build, this roadway, we're capturing our stormwater, but it doesn't talk about why we're building the roadway. I think that's more uh, the first item to a certain extent and also the third item that was there. Okay, so just in terms of its environment, we're just talking about 
mode shift and mm -hmm. getting right, people right. out of single occupancy vehicles, but it's not reflected as a uh, one of the century agenda goals being met. So I, I just think if you don't, if it's not the goal, then it's a challenge. And and but okay. And, so, and the other thing is, as I mentioned in my opening comments, was um, if the goal really is mode shift, and we have all this uh, all this construction debris going on, shall we say, um, the idea of doing something to get the rail station easier access, the passenger easier access to the terminal. I mean, the shuttle, the golf cart is nice, and I appreciate being part of getting that going is one of the first things I worked on here. Um, but, you know, it's limited in its yeah. capabilities, and any airport worth its dam has moving sidewalks, and uh, we were told we can't do that because the structure wasn't built with that and meant to be designed. But here we're messing. We're making new stuff. And so yeah. why isn't that part of this consideration at this time? Well, so I, it's a really good question. I think when you go to that first slide, the slide I had about the framework, we look at the different kinds of projects that we're talking about or initiatives. Transit's a part of that. Um, uh, to be honest, the, the uh, moving sidewalk idea is, in par is part of our long-term plans, is our near-term near strategic airport master plan. Um, concept for a, a transportation center over the ground transportation lot. That's where that uh, moving sidewalk is planned to go. Um, so to the extent that we can move those projects forward, we'll see that sooner. Right now, our opportunity is really through the garage, and that's, and as you just you know mentioned and discussed, it's um, a limited service with the cart service, and, and it isn't sort of semi-enclosed, but you know exposed to the elements and the wind and that sort of thing. I think um, moving forward, we're looking at you know getting that integrated into both that transportation uh, Northeast Transportation Center, and also uh, that link to the other part of the light rail station. So if you look at the, the geography, the light rail station will have a, a different connection as well. Um, so, but isn't the transportation center sort of contingent on the new terminal? It is contingent upon the master plan. Yeah, it is one of the near-term projects in the master plan. That's correct. But it's and if it, that it's a huge phase later it, right? it, it would require a, a whole nother terminal development correct correct and, and I'll, I will say to uh, to change the structure of the garage to accommodate moving sidewalks would take a, a similarly uh, substantive and, and uh, substantial project to okay, okay so to I, I appreciate this so the only thing is if you're looking at if I'm looking at this picture where the green line comes in to the dedicated shuttles yeah. to the terminal yeah. right and so and if you saw the light rail um, I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking that if it was terminating closer towards the, to, to that same terminus, the right? You know, again, this would be done with an association oh. with other agencies and things like that. But um, I mean, I don't know what airport in the world has this lousy kind of connection from the, the city center to the major transportation of, of the entire four state region. I mean, it just is amazing to me. and so. This is not a cheap undertaking, I understand, but it's not like easy to, you want to facilitate this kind of use. We don't even have direct bus service. So I, I just don't know, we talk about mode shift, but it, you have to make an option worth shifting to. So I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just I, the idea of waiting to build a new terminal before we can fix this seems to me to be a, kind of an unreasonable time frame for us if we're really serious about getting people out of their cars. 
and I don't know, maybe it's for, obviously it's above your pay grade to make that decision, but I just have to lay it out there that yeah. Um, yeah, this, is, this is tweaking around the edges. It's a start, right? And, but and it's, it's not a small start, right? It's a huge budget, $89 million, yeah. and, um, and we still don't have mass transit. But thank you for sharing this long-term plan. Yeah. Welcome. All right, Commissioner Azagawa. All right, so um, one clarifying question. Um, part of this project is also the Terminal Security Enhancements Project, and would that um, address, does that seek to address some of the inefficiencies in security screening experienced by passengers? Uh, the Terminal Security Enhancements Project is a security bollard project. And so we're installing bollards on departures, arrivals okay. across the sky bridges and at the courtesy van plaza in the garage. The reason why we're transferring to scope the widened arrivals is the area where we're relocating the transit curb was an area proposed for treatment and it makes sense to do it once, not twice, which is why we're shifting it into widened arrivals. Okay, and I just want to um, acknowledge and echo the comments by Commissioner Calkins and Commissioner Fellerman that um, it's not just about expanding capacity, it's also about promoting efficiencies. Um, and so getting folks out of cars for, you know, single dual passenger vehicles, doing one-off one drop-offs versus having higher capacity, higher occupancy <coughs> vehicles coming through and being able to do that has to be a part of our framework, right? That's got to be the integral component. Mass transit is, <coughs> if, it's, if it's not a part of the plan, it's not a real proposal, in, in my opinion. Um, the other folks who are, um, in terms of efficiency and getting them to the airport, it's not just about passengers, it's also about employees. Part of the GTAP um, was supposed to be a conversation where some of the actual employers uh, looked for a way to be able to enter into a program where they could subsidize the cost for an ORCA pass for their employees. And I'm wondering if um, where that conversation is today. Yeah, so that's a good question, and it's related to the Transportation Management Association concept, and I think the rest of the GTAP work, if you look at the initiatives and strategies that we outlined in that framework, um, the, the employment, so relationship, we do have a GTAP manager who works on the TMA uh, concepts, and that would be one of them, it would be kind of the ORCA pass for employees. Um, this would be for... Uh, not just for port employees, but I think you're referring to all airport employees. SCA right? employees. SCA right. employees, yeah. And and so we're making those contacts now with Delta Airlines, Alaska Airlines, Avair Pros, our uh, ATO rec uh, representative to ATR, rather, airport technical representative, uh, to try to start those conversations then with them, the major employers at the airport about what we can leverage from them and the Port of Seattle to. to uh, develop a specific initiative that would would target something like a transit pass also other commute benefits like la first and last mile what we can do the immediate term and there should be a plan then and we'll want to evolve this conversation then through the aviation committee about what's the plan and then what we're going to do this year and the next and the following year so that's that's where we're at right now is starting those conversations with uh, Delta Alaska the ATR and then trying to frame up what the specific initiatives and work program will be for the TMA. So when you're saying starting those conversations, what does that mean? So it means that we may commit, we may contacts with their commute trip reduction representatives, memberships of those organizations. That should have happened a year ago. 
Understood. So we're making that we're making those contacts, and we are just uh, now. Recently, we are making those contacts. We made a hire last summer to uh, provide a full time resource for GTAP and the TMA. Uh, he is on board and and um, working diligently to understand the landscape of issues and uh, trying to develop these strategies so that they're at least have some recommendations for the commission before we implement them. And that would ter um, be one policy directive under GTAP that would come before the aviation committee that'd be acted upon by the commission. Exactly. Do it, we have a general timeline by this new hire about how this budding conversation can proceed in a timely fashion? Yeah, I don't have a date for you today, but we'll certainly work on one. Okay. Um, I think I, that sounds like to me that would be a referral to committee, maybe not at this time because it's just beginning but this we're watching um, so um, noteworthy Commissioner Hosgott, I believe it's already on our work plan for the year so it we, is yeah oh, very good transit passes for SEA employees as a part of the GTAP is on part of the aviation committee work plan thank you aviation committee members y'all so productive okay thank you and then my other question is about the um, additional scope increases and coordination requirements. Can you elaborate on that, please? In terms of the specifics, the $5 million cost increase? Is that yes, the largest to? cost increase yeah. associated with this ask. Yeah, I believe $2.5 of that was associated in stormwater management costs, again, because we're having to run multiple systems at the same time. Mm -hmm. So instead of working from one area to the other, we're now managing you know, multiple areas at the same time. And I believe we have about 10 different capital projects uh, that are also undergoing construction adjacent to or immediately uh, upstream or downstream of the work that we're performing that is creating inefficiencies in the work that we're doing and so you can only do so much before they come in and do their work and then we come back in and do more of our work leave they come in and do more of their work type of inefficiencies when I say that and so that's the cost increase that we're forecasting that we'll see in that we anticipate seeing in the bids because of those requirements that we include in our contract to coordinate okay and so this uh, overall ask is about improvements to existing footprint does not include expansion uh, expansion of the terminal building you're correct we are adding those two additional travel lanes that we mentioned for ground transportation and public parking okay and then the um, does any of that include improvements to the cell phone lot uh, no the improvements to the cell phone lot were completed recently with the air cargo road improvements project that was completed last year okay thank you no further mm -hmm. questions Commissioner Mohammed. Well, first, I want to just start off by saying congratulations to the new COO on your position. Welcome back to the port, and we're excited to have you here. Um, my question is regarding page 11, um, the specific factors contributing to the increased cost. So I wanted to know, could you just maybe elaborate a little bit on the 2.9 for higher than anticipated escalations? What are those specifically? <laughs> Um, when we did our estimate at 30% design, we included an overall escalation factor. I believe we assumed 5%. Uh, what we've seen is higher than 5% on a couple of different items. I believe it was uh, medium voltage electrical infrastructure, uh, traffic control labor, and fuel. So those prices have increased more than that 5% that we allocated. That's really helpful. Um, the other question I had was um, what measures are put in place to prevent additional uh, increases or cost escalations? 
At this time, we've completed design, and so this is our best estimate of cost. Um, you've seen the um, uh, cost certainty chart that we've shared with you before, the uh, triangle that shows as you move further down design, you kind of narrow that window on cost. And so we're getting towards the end of that triangle, but there still is cost uncertainty. Um, what we're looking at when we go to bid, we're trying to achieve our pricing within 10% of that value. Um, and right now we're feeling pretty confident based upon the information that we have that we're within 10% of the price that we're showing. So unfortunately, I cannot guarantee that we will complete the work within budget because I do not know what bids we will receive. And a lot of this is dependent upon the market conditions and the number of contractors who are interested in this work. And we've tried to strategize and prepare these contracts to maximize the competitiveness of these contracts so we get a better price. So is that 10% a new thing that you guys included, or is that just your normal practice? Uh, and these increases can, can potentially happen in the future? Uh, those are the percentages that are shown on that chart. And historically, we've been trying to be within 10%, uh, either above or below the estimated bid values. Um, and then it's page 14. Just kind of going back to uh, Commissioner Fellman's points around the light rail uh, issue when you get off the light rail and heading into the airport. Um, that is really challenging for folks who are traveling, especially international. And I, I totally heard you guys on um, moving uh, a moving sidewalk and, and um, I wasn't in support of the golf carts. But I, I definitely do think that is something that um, we, we should take up in the Aviation Committee. Um, and find alternatives, whether that is shuttles. It's just, it's close to impossible if you're especially traveling international and have suitcases with you that are about 50 pounds each. And so that's, I'll let you respond. Oh, yeah, happy to, Commissioner Mohammed. So we, I think what I'm hearing is that we'll take that up in the Aviation Committee. We'll talk some more about what some ideas might be to either enhance that service or what the capital implications would be for like a moving sidewalk. I think it's good to bring that back to the fore. I've heard it twice today, and I think it would just help us to kind of ground ourselves on what that would mean for that existing facility. Yeah, and I wondered about um, kind of going back to uh, page 11 on the federal funding piece. So are those reimbursements that we will be seeking out, or how does that work? Um, if we are successful in getting the raise grant, that's $25 million of funding that would be made available to us, and it's a reimbursement approach. So we would pay for the money first and then seek reimbursement from federal highways. There goes the funding for successful. All right. Um, oh, sorry, I just ahead. had one, one last uh, uh, comment about um, the passes for employees at the airport. Are we talking to the airlines also about possibly surveying some of the employees? Because I, I think it's not just the ORCA passes that people are struggling with, but it's also even those who drive and don't have, the, the shuttle systems are not always effective. And so is there a holistic approach? And I mean, we'll take that up on aviation, but I was wondering if you just had some comments around that. So um, most of our survey work has been focused on customers. So it's something that we'd have to, to think about. And um, I think that was part of the TMA. Typically, you do a survey effort as part of your initial stand-up of the TMA to understand what the commute patterns are. You can survey the organizations, but you also want to know from the customers themselves. So we'll embed that into the, the TMA work program as well. That assessment will be important. And that concludes my comments. And thank you all. All right. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Don't all speak at once. <laughs> you don't want to second it? 
Second. All right. The motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Clark, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. All right. The motion passes. Thank you very much. We are now moving to item 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce the item. We're about 10 minutes behind, but I think we can make it up. Thank you. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, the 2022 financial performance briefing. Commissioners, we're pleased to share the results of last year's financial performance with you. The Port of Seattle saw strong financial performance in 2022 due to prudent budgeting and careful cost management, which led to significant net revenue, as you'll see. However, there are still significant economic headwinds that reinforce our need to continue to be conservative in our budgeting. The recovery of our aviation, maritime, and economic development businesses was robust in 2022, mostly noti most notably the historic cruise season that was our biggest ever. However, 2022 SEA passenger levels were below budget and 11.4% lower than 1999. As I mentioned, the report you'll hear today is very positive, and so I want to thank the entire port staff for their commitment to careful financial management, to maximizing revenues where possible, and to reducing expenses. I also want to share my appreciation to the Biden administration and the Washington congressional delegation for the significant federal funding that we were able to utilize to strengthen our financial performance, that you'll hear about the impact of those. Key to our planning is understanding what one-time funding impacted is how one-time one funding impacted our overall results. For example, while revenues were $43.3 million over budget, we were supported by federal pandemic relief dollars that are expiring and can't be counted on. Similarly, operating expenses were $23.4 million below budget, mainly due to $15.6 million credit, million credit related to the port's public pension plans, which we've talked about in the past. Overall, the state of the port's finances are strong, which allows us to make essential investments in our workforce, our infrastructure, our operations, and the community. I look forward to answering any questions you have as the staff walks through today's presentation. And the presenters are uh, Dan Thomas, Chief Financial Officer, uh, Michael Tong, Director of Corporate Budget Finance and Budget, and uh, Hong Yen, uh, Interim Director, Aviation Finance and Budget, um, Kelly Zubhan, Director of Seaport Finance and Budget, and I think we have also the managing directors are available if there's any questions for them as well. So with that, I'm going to turn over to Dan. Thank you, Steve. Good afternoon, Commissioners. If we could pull up the first slide. Next slide, please. So Steve covered most of these highlights, so I won't go into any detail or repeat any of them. One thing I did want to note, though, under the um, the fourth bullet about operating revenues, one uh, of the drivers here that's not specifically listed also was the cruise revenues uh, <clears throat> because of the record cruise season, season, cruise season that Pete, uh, Stephen mentioned. You know, I did want to make a, a note on the state pension credit, which Steve referenced. Um, so th this is the result of an annual calculation that the state does, an actuarial valuation uh, on the, the value of the various state pension systems. And we don't get that actual number until the end of the year. 
So what we budget for uh, are just our actual cash contributions to the various pension uh, systems. Um, but at, towards the end of the year, when we get the actuarial evaluation, we get the actual expense from an accounting standpoint, uh, we have to make a non-cash adjustment to reconcile those two. Um, and the reason that the credit is positive uh, and it's the fact that it's been running positive for the past few years is largely due to the uh, outperformance of the stock market. Um, so we do expect that that could possibly reverse in future years. As we know, the market's not doing as well this year, so we could see a reversal of that trend uh, in the future and actually have to book a little bit of a higher expense than what we had um, booked as part of our contributions. Um, but in our presentation today, we want to sh we show you both with and without the credit because we want to be very transparent about our actual performance uh, net of the credit. Um, I also want to uh, just make a few notes about um, our audited financial statements, which we are working on right now. They should be released probably in the May timeframe. And I wanted to note that there will be some differences in our published financial reports compared to our internal re uh, statements they're reviewing uh, with you today. And, and the reason is because there's been an accounting rule change for how we handle operating leases, uh, which we implemented for the first time for, for 2022. And it really has to do with that, that difference in, in, in how we account for operating releases. Uh, operating leases. Essentially, operating release, uh, leases in the future will be handled more like a capital leases uh, as opposed to how we've booked them in the past. And we, so initially we will book them uh, on our uh, balance sheet uh, as assets and liabilities. But on the income statement, we're going to have to break out our operating lease payments into uh, operating revenues and non-operating revenues. And that's because of this new accounting pronouncement. Uh, and on the income statement, uh, the, the effect will be a little bit of a, uh, a difference in what, how we're comparing to our, our numbers here. Um, because the operating revenue component will act more like a, a principal payment, whereas the non-operating component will be more like an interest revenue. That's how they'll be booked on our published uh, financial statements. Similarly, on for operating lease expenses, We'll be breaking them into operating and non-operating components. And since the majority of our leases uh, we serve as the lessor, uh, the, the greatest impact will be on our operating revenues uh, and also an increase in non-operating revenues, which basically offset one another so that they um, uh, really have no impact on the bottom line. Uh, we have very few leases that uh, where we are the lessee, so there's very little impact on our expenses. And just to give you a sense of the order of magnitude, our net income on our published financial statements, net operating income will be about $11 million less uh, than what you're seeing in the numbers today. And, and we have elected not to use that approach for our internal reporting because we felt we want to be more transparent about our actual performance and we felt that those that new accounting rule can distort the actual uh, performance. Uh, you have the full report uh, as part of your packet and we also have a lot more information in the appendix uh, to the, today's presentation. So with that, I'll turn it over to Han uh, to talk about the aviation financial results. Uh, Han, as Steve mentioned, is serving as our interim director of aviation finance and budget upon the recent retirement of Morgan Anderson. Uh, so uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Han. Great, thank you so much, Dan. Good afternoon, commissioners. I am, my name is Han Nguyen, and I am the interim director of aviation finance and budget. Next slide, please. 
the passenger forecast for 2022, the passenger volume rebounded and was at 20. Oh, next slide, please. Uh, 2022 passenger volume rebounded and was at 27.1% higher than the full year of 2021. For 2023, we are forecasting a 5.7% lower than the 2019 level. We are anticipating a return to the 2019 level, passenger level recovery by 2025. Next slide, please. Oh, okay, next slide, please. Thank you. We're pleased to report that the CTAX financial performance came in exceptionally well. I will highlight the majority component of this slide. Oh, um, the following uh, one slide back. Thank you. Um, I will highlight the, maj uh, the major component of this slide and further details will be presented in the following slides. Moving down to the net operating income after the federal relief, the net operating income was at 425 million, which is $68 million higher than budget. Some of the major drivers um, include, we maximized the use of the federal relief grants. We diligently managed the operating expenses um, to slightly lower than budget. The pension credit, as you heard, of $12 million provided a larger variance. Our total revenues ended in a higher than budget. Majority of that is due to the non-aeronautical uh, non revenues that will be discussed in details later. So moving down to the chart in the lower chart, the key measures are also well above budget. The federal relief grants support the growth of the airport development fund balance and higher debt service coverage. Another metric is our cost uh, per employment, which is higher due to the lower employment than budget. The capital spending came in lower than anticipated due to several project delays. Next slide, please. The operating expenses came in at 3.8% favorable driven primarily due to the delay in the expense spending in the airline realignment and the 12.3 million of pension credit. The favorable variances were offset with less salary charges to capital and the snow event that happened. Next slide, please. On the non-aeronautical revenues, um, the non-aeronautical revenues is based primarily on airline cost recovery. Our finance team managed extremely well to maximize the use of the federal COVID relief grants and the passenger facility charges to reduce the airline rate-based costs. The actual revenue was at 403 million, slightly higher than budget. Next slide, please. On the non-aeronautical revenue side for 2022, we came in at 276 million with the COVID concession grants. This reflected the passenger volume increase by 27.1% compared to prior year contributing to a higher spending in non-airline revenues. Next slide, please. 
as you can see, the um, we the non aeronautical revenue exceeded budget, and the landside revenues con continue to recover strongly, especially in parking, rental car, and ground transportation, to due to high demand from returning passengers. Airport dining and retail revenue reflects a reduction in the operating revenue due to the federal concession relief grants, but these are offset by the non-operating grant revenue, so, the, um, so it's a cash flow neutral. On the other revenues, um, it reflects a delay in the Amex lounge opening and lower lounge visit, which um, partially offset by strong performance in the in-flight kitchen revenue and all clear concession revenues. Next slide, please. As, um, as Steve mentioned, the federal relief grants, we recognize that building uh, of our cash fund balance is crucial to the sustaining the financially during a major economic event. During the pandemic, we strategically managed the $410 million of the COVID grants well to succeed our performance objectives. For 2022, $149 million in federal relief grants were used, and this um, helped us increase our cash fund balance. For 2023, there is about $13.8 million available of the federal relief grants remaining. Next slide, please. Our debt service coverage came in at 2.64 versus a 2.03. So basically the debt service is saying that is what is our cash available after um, our debts, um, paying our debt service. So it's a strong balance, um, a strong ratio of 2.64. The three main drivers include we had higher non-aeronautical revenues we were able to maintain our operating expenses and also with the pension credit. We made a decision to claim as much as possible, uh, as much of the federal relief grants in 2022 and reduce the PFC revenues used to offset debt service instead. We are building the cash fund balance for, uh, for 14 months of O&M in 2022 to manage financial sustainability. We ended the year with a strong ADF balance. So next slide, please. So as you can see, our, um, our beginning um, balance for the year was at 341, and we built the cash fund balance, and we ended the year at 494 million, and this had a cushion of about $13 million higher than our target. Next slide, please. On the capital spending side, we were spending at about 60% against budget. Several of the projects were delayed due to a design delay on the SeaTac gateway. This is the North Main Terminal project. Our baggage um, claim project delay were due to the materials and the IAF opening. Our sea concourse, there were cost loading of the schedule um, up front so we corrected that um, loading of the cost schedule. For the noise program, we have several, um, there was delay in the cash flow spending and a few of the apartments program, the sound installations, the, um, the participation rate is not there. 
for the other projects, um, there are several reasons for the major delay due to schedule, the result of the supply chain, long lead time uh, disruption, and the duration in our procurement process that's taking longer than expected. So at this time, I'm open. Um, I can turn over to we'll Kelly. Kelly Zupan, go through the Maritime and ADD. Unless there's questions, if you want to. We can go through the entire thing okay. and then we can Great. Great. circle back. Thank you. All right, next, uh, next slide. Thanks, Han, for the prior presentation. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and executive director metric. Um, the next several slides, I will take you through the Seaport financial performance in 2023, or 2022, pardon me. Uh, managing directors, Stephanie jones Stevens and Dave McFadden are available if you have any questions or clarifications. Um, we'd like to start with some revenue driving metrics for key businesses and properties. After an unexpectedly high cargo volume in 2021, we returned in 2022 to a level that is in line with what was budgeted and more of a historical norm. Uh, crews had by far the most calls in history and slightly exceeded the 75% occupancy amount uh, budgeted. This also generated a record high in uh, passenger volumes as well. Uh, grain volumes returned to mean and um, the Shilshul Bay Marina improved occupancy by almost 4% year over year from 2021. Uh, the key driver at Shilshul Bay Marina um, was process improvements implemented by the rec boating team out there that have helped significantly, significantly improve turnaround times for moorage. Next slide, please. Financially, the seaport had an outstanding year. Excluding pension adjustments, operating income was $20 million better than budget and nearly $16 million above 2021. Crews represented the majority of the growth along with the successful back half of the year for our conference and event centers. We expect to see incremental revenue growth in 2023 as cruise ships get closer to full occupancy and the Terminal 106 ground lease begins to take, with, with Tremel Crow, begins to take full effect. After that, revenue will start leveling out a bit until uh, the Terminal 91 Uplands begins leasing or a new business or investment takes shape. Next slide, please. Um, one more. Okay. A Maritime had a successful 2022 financially between a strong recovery in cruise and improved utilization of our marinas. Expenses included about $1.5 million of capital reverting to expense, primarily centered on the closing of Fisherman's Terminal Gateway Building Project. Delays from Pier 66 shore power and other small projects have pushed some capital out. And do note there are an additional 17 slides in the appendix 
for environmental waterfront project management and others showing achievements such as agreeing to purchase renewable natural gas across 36 of our waterfront buildings. Next slide, please. This slide elaborates further on the 2022 financial results. We excluded pension adjustments, so the variances are apples to apples. As mentioned before, there was nearly 50% revenue growth in maritime as we saw the impact of a full season of cruise. Expenses grew 25% or just over half the rate of revenue. This expense growth was seen portwide in 2021, included, um, and it included significant austerity measures that we had in 2021 um, based on targeted hiring freezes and some pandemic-related revenue loss. Next slide, please. The stormwater utility operating income was about $700,000 favorable to budget. Most of this was driven by some open maintenance positions. At, at year-end, stormwater utility reserve fund balance was $5.2 million, or about $1.7 million higher than our target, which is 50% of revenue. This balance will be monitored and factored in when the team presents to commission the strategy and plan for rates this fall. Next slide, please. Here is a snapshot of the Northwest Seaport Alliance financial performance for 2022. The container volumes were down 11.4% from 2021, which impacted the MAG revenue at, or minimum annual guarantee revenue at Terminal, 118, or Terminal 18. There were some new leases and increased break bulk volume that helped offset the lower container volumes. The biggest, the biggest driver to the favorable distributable income was the timing of maintenance projects and lower administrative costs. So we basically got higher distributable income than we thought we would get. Most of that was due to savings at the Seaport Alliance. Okay, next slide, please. Here you'll see that uh, distributable income, as this is the P&L for the joint venture. About $6 million of that, uh, we were about $6 million favorable in, to budget and distributable income from the Alliance, and another million and a half favorable um, or higher than expected from tenant reimbursements um, and temporary use of the Port of Seattle section of Terminal 46 um, that was leased out on some temporary leases from PCMC and PMA. From the expense side, there was a liability booked related to the disposal of free product that was released unexpectedly while driving a pile during the installation of the bull rail related to the Terminal 5 development. Um, next slide, please. More. Now I'll speak about Economic <coughs> Development Division. Um, despite some COVID variant headwinds in Q1 of 2021, the Bell Street Parking Garage, Conference and Event Centers, along with our real estate um, leases outperformed the rest of the year and only missed the revenue budget by $1 million. Expenses came in under budget by $4 million, in part due to the cost containment at conference and event centers, which led to the highest gross margin ever. 
out there. There was also significant savings and economic development grants as we moved to a two-year matching cycle. We anticipate this grant spending to increase significantly in 2023 as cities complete their two-year projects. And next slide, please. Excluding the pension adjustments, the operating loss for Economic Development Division improved by 4.6 million from 2021 to just under 6.5 million, which is the most favorable we've had since the formation of the Northwest Seaport Alliance in 2015. Capital spending was 9 million, or about 86% of budget, as most of the approved projects further along the cone of uncertainty are coming in as expected. Again, there is significant more de significantly more detail in the appendix, and you know, please reach out if you want a deeper dive into a specific business or property. Thanks. And I'll go ahead and turn it over to Michael Tong yeah, now. We'll bring in Michael Tong now to go through the central services results and also the port-wide view. Thanks, Kelly. Good afternoon, Commissioner. I'm Executive Director Metric. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, the table on the left is a summary of the uh, financial for central services. Um, on the revenue side, uh, we were 2.3 million favorable to the budget. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the far right column there, and uh, mainly due to a couple of reasons. One is that uh, you know all for the police departments. One is the uh, uh, budget for features revenue. And the other is the uh, adjustment for the uh, state pension credit for the life, uh, uh, the enforcement officer there. And the, on the expenses side, uh, we were just 174,000 uh, favorable to the budget um, without the uh, pension credit. And with the pension credit, uh, we were 6.8 million uh, favorable to the budget. Uh, on the capital expenditure, we spent only 6.2 million of the 10.9 um, uh, million uh, of the 2022 uh, budget. Next slide, please. Uh, this chart uh, on the left uh, showed the opting uh, expenses, um, which is you know almost white on the budget, 0.1% favorable. That's the closest and the, as good as we can get uh, uh, to the budget. Uh, while the budget variance were very small, there were some uh, ins and outs uh, from different accounts, um, which show on the left-hand side of the chart. Um, the salary and benefit combined uh, were just 1.1 million uh, or 0.5 of the budget, uh, under favorable to the budget. Uh, outside services uh, were 2 million under budget, but other expenses, uh, the 2.3 million over budget, and mainly due to a couple of reasons. One is the uh, unbudgeted legal uh, expenditure. The other is the uh, um, insurance insurance premium, uh, which is higher than uh, what we expected when we put the budget together. Next slide, please. Uh, this chart shows the operating expenses uh, from the per COVID uh, 2020, uh, 2019 to uh, 2022. As you can see uh, from the chart here, we have been able to keep the cost relatively uh, fact for uh, three years uh, from 2019 to 2021. 
by taking uh, some important budget management measure that uh, our executive director mentioned a little bit earlier, um, uh, including the hiring fees uh, and uh, reduced uh, training and other expenditure, uh, in, especially in 2020 and 2021, um, while also increasing spending uh, on some of the committee programs, such as the South King County uh, Committee Impact Fund and the uh, Youth Career Launch Program. We have been uh, pretty significantly increased those expenditure on some of the committee program uh, for the past few years. Uh, you can also see the expansion on the 2022 budget variance, um, as well as the changes from 2021 to 2022 uh, actual comparison on the white uh, side of the uh, the slide here. So I won't go into the detail unless you have questions. Next slide, please. Uh, next one, one more. Thank you. Um, this chart shows the breakdowns of the operating revenues uh, from the per COVID uh, 2019 uh, to the 2022 by uh, nautical revenue, which is the uh, the blue bar here, uh, and also the on uh, airport revenue, which is the green uh, green bars, and then the uh, light uh, blue one is the uh, long airport revenues. Um, and, and also the red one is the uh, expenses over the past few years. Uh, and the green line uh, is the, uh, excuse me, the blue line is the uh, uh, net operating incomes. Uh, just want to highlight a couple uh, of uh, points here for this chart for you. Uh, first one is the operating revenues. Um, went up from uh, the 700 million marked in 2019 uh, that's per COVID, uh, per COVID uh, level to over 800 million uh, last year. Uh, and you can also see a pretty steady uh, climb in terms of the rep operating revenues uh, from 2020 to 2022. Um, and then the second point I want to make is that the um, 2022 port operating revenues uh, were also 43 million higher than the uh, the budget, so a uh, pretty strong performance there. The last point that I want to make is the uh, net opening incomes uh, in 2022 also exceed the uh, 2019 per COVID level and also 51 million uh, better than the budget. Um, the last one that I also want to point out is that we invested uh, 11.6 million uh, in 17 community program in 2022. Uh, and you can see the detail uh, in the um, in slide, I think it's uh, 90 in the appendix. Um, next slide, please. Um, last but not least, uh, this is the port-wide capital spending uh, for the past few years. Um, just want to point out that we spent only uh, 340 million, uh, which is a little bit below 60% uh, of the 2022 budget. And the main reason uh, you uh, already heard from Han and Kelly about some of those uh, project delays. Uh, with that, happy to answer any questions. So, that you so may in have. summary, again, we're very pleased with our performance in 2022. And as Steve alluded to, however, there still is potential economic uncertainty ahead of us. Uh, so we'll be monitoring that as we go through the year. So again, we'd be happy to answer any questions. Great, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate the, uh, the thorough presentation. I'll open it up to commissioners for questions. Commissioner Calkins. 
in, in our recent uh, conversation at the Northwest Seaport Alliance along these same lines, um, one of the um, elements we talked about was the things we can't control. And particularly in, um, in maritime cargo operations, the purview of the Northwest Seaport Alliance, there are a lot of dark clouds mm -hmm. uh, that you know, may signify nothing or you know, we've been talking about recession now for a good year and a half and so far right. we're whistling past the graveyard. Um, but you know, I would I'd, um, love to just hear your thoughts on uh, if there are any particular um, systemic or global um, red flags out there that you would signal for us to watch closely um, that could lead to um, you know, issues that uh, would, would significantly alter our budget. Um, and you know, if, if you see any green flags out there as well, that <laughs> might be good news that we aren't necessarily banking on, but you know, if certain things come to pass, how could that alter the, the potential outlook to the good? Sure. Well, we'll you know, certainly inflation continues to be a big concern. <clears throat> Looks like we saw a little bit of a moderation in the date numbers released today, but, you know, uh, how that's going to play out and will the Federal Reserve be successful in taming inflation without actually triggering a recession, I think, is the kind of $64,000 question out there. Uh, and what, the, you know, if we do actually tip into a recession, uh, I think it's anybody's guess. We're, we're hopeful and not. I think that information I've seen is that if we do go into recession, should be a mild recession. Uh, certainly the uh, recent news about bank failures is not, uh, does not bode well for the economy if they uh, were to become more endemic. Uh, but so far it looks like that's relatively contained and the federal government seems to be willing to step in and, and support those banks. Uh, I think you're right on the on the uh, container side in particular. Uh, we've seen a pretty uh, significant drop off. I think as the inventory overhang is sort of uh, taken into effect, uh, I think some are optimistic that that's going to pick up later in the year. But uh, I think it's still uh, anybody's guess how that's going to really play out. Um, you know, in terms of um, uh, good news, I think we're still looking at very strong labor markets, uh, which everyone seems to be pleased with, which also can also tend to lead to higher inflation, but it's still good news to see lots of employment out there. So it's kind of mixed signals right now. I think we're in a period of great uncertainty, and uh, you know, we can certainly hope that the glass is half full and uh, we, we do better than we expect, but we are monitoring these trends and would be prepared to uh, make adjustments to our budgets if necessary as we get through the year. With uh, the amount of capital we're investing in in the next few years, how much of a difference does the increased cost of capital mean for you know, the fact that our bonds, we, we need to offer them at higher rates than you know, it, it has some effect, but it's not huge. Uh, as you know, we, we generally benefit from uh, lower tax-exempt rates, so that certainly helps us. But, uh, you know, we, we'll be paying more uh, for debt. We don't have any uh, debt planned for this year. Currently, we're, we're double-checking our numbers and our, our cash flow forecast, but we're, we're thinking we will get by this year without a new money issue. So if we can get by for another year and start seeing interest rates potentially moderate, uh, within a year, that would be beneficial as well. Commissioner Fagenad, yeah. Dan, do you want to comment on our, our last, our ratings and how that applied to the, our ratings going up, actually? For As part of our, our 
bond issues last yes, year. Yeah. We, we yeah. did see upgrades was, from uh, Standard & Poor's, I believe it was, sort of upgraded many of our, uh, some of our bond issues across the board, including our GO bonds and revenue bonds. Uh, at the margin, it helps, um, but again, it's not necessarily a huge impact, uh, but it certainly every, every little bit helps. Thank you, Dan. Uh, if I, I might, uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Cochran, um, with regard to the uh, cargo, uh, container cargo volume, uh, Super Alliance, I think one of the longer trend shift is that, uh, you know, the manufacturing base moved more to the South Asia, uh, South, uh, South, South part of the Asia, um, and pass through, you know, the, um, going through more to the uh, East Coast and the Southern port. Um, so you, you're seeing, you know, uh, last year, you know, those are pretty significant increase in terms of the cargo volume out, you know, the West Coast in general, have some reduction, those are probably even longer threat and trend um, for the coming years. Commissioner Feldman. Thank you very much. I appreciate that conclusion. You know, the state of the port is good. You know, that was important to punchline at the end of the story. Yeah. Um, the, the figure on uh, 31, um, where we have the port-wide financial summary, it's like, it's always good to see mm -hmm. all in one picture, right? Mm -hmm. It's right. Um, for our uh, for us aquatically inclined folks, though, to have the category of <laughs> non-airport revenues, it seems like a, a big category that includes a lot of things. It doesn't say maritime anywhere, but more more to the point, since maritime, since the Seaport Alliance is such a significant portion of maritime, and those trends are not optimistic, you know, they're not positive at the moment. Um, I think watching the the percentage of Seaport Alliance in our revenues is valuable in terms mm -hmm. of tracking our uh, some of our decision making. So, uh, yes. and and I think um, I think having you know maritime period broken out or at least Seaport Alliance is instructive as we make uh, investment decisions. So, yeah. Anyway, something other than just non-airport, right? Well, and, and you may in, in in Kelly's presentation, he does break out the maritime versus the uh, Seaport Alliance, and uh, yeah. as well as things like. Starport. But you know, if you for one stop uh, shop, that's one, such a valuable picture. Yeah. To be able to try to explain the overall, and again, if it wasn't a significant portion of our maritime budget, um, sure, that would be less of an issue. One of the things that I, I raised last time when we were passing the budget, we talk about the operational improvements at Chilshol, as attributing to this financial bank. We also increased the rate 10%. So I, I just, I don't know how much uh, one could be attributed. I think it's both as mm -hmm. significant, but I, I don't wanna be, it's not just all operational efficiency. That's correct. Um, there is, I love this term of art and I just forgot it. It was um, this uh, product release or what is this free product? I, I love this, coming from the maritime oil spill world. Uh, so we had a release of some product during the pile driving at T5, and um, and, and and there was some. Uh, I think there was some reflection of a 53% increase in environmental um, component in our maritime budget. Um, and I was just wondering, environmental and sustainability on the joint venture for the Seaport Alliance, because that was a T5 pile driving. So I was just wondering. Um, is that cost recoverable? Because we weren't doing the pile driving. You know, I would probably defer to Kelly or Stephanie if they have any more uh, insight into that, uh, whether those are rec recoverable. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe it. Yeah. 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 
yeah, Commissioner Feldman, I don't believe it is. It was just a, because it was a historic um, cost, it was a port, it was a port owned or a port li liability. On so it was it. So determined it was like in the sediments and that was just released by pounding on it? I, I don't want to elaborate too much. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, you know, right, so I'll we, leave it up to uh, Brick and, and the team out there right. to go more into depth. You know more about I, that I, than I'm I do. I'm always excited but, about those things. Wait, okay, so it's a one-time thing okay. that happened um, through an old area that hadn't been examined or hadn't been um, remediated yet. And okay. so it, we'll, we'll get you some more information. The, the point is that it was yeah. either it was a, an orphan spill or we own it. That's all it matters. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, then uh, the the question of the JV uh, direct in the Seaport Alliance budget, is that the payments that we make uh, to them for T46, the North Harbor, the North Slip? JV direct. Um, yeah, and on, uh, again, that's page 22. Yeah, let me, let me. I'm just wondering, where is that? Oh, that, oh no, that the, the payments we make is actually... Um, the JV Direct, that included the, it's Joint Venture Direct, that included the remediation in there. The payments we make is um, actually a contra joint venture. So it comes, there's $4 million that come, $2 million comes back to us. And so rather than taking that $2 million that comes back as revenue, we, um, we use it as an offset, um, the contra. So that, it goes as a reduction in revenue on that side so we have two million dollars hits cruise and two million dollars is hits this is a contra and because we're getting half of that four million back it's so it nets to zero that's it's part of the 55 million you see up there includes that two million half of that four million dollars but um, we then book the other 1.9 million you see there is the contra revenue. Okay, so, so that's contra where the revenue. Shows up in there. I think yeah. the important point is is the expenses in the cruise line of business because that's where the payment is made, mm -hmm. the full four million dollar payment. But in this uh, income statement, it's where we get the credit back for that half, the half of the revenue through yeah. The, yeah, from the alliance. Thank you. Excellent. Any other questions, Commissioner Mohammed? Sorry to Commissioner Fellman, your question. So, the overall increase—thank you—the overall increase in revenue at Shilshul is due to both the rate increases, which our mortgage customers really feel, as well as the increase. But the mortgage, uh, the mortgage rate increase is included in the budget. So, when we report our financial results, we're talking about how we exceeded budget, and that increase was the increase in our. Um, the, the improvement in processes that allowed us to get Thank new you. customers in quicker. That. So that's why we report it that way. But I appreciate you highlighting that part of our revenue keeping up. Is no, 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 but I, that's important. It was already budgeted in, so. Great, thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to sure. Director Thomas and your, your finance team for your careful uh, cost management that you all do. You guys keep us out of trouble. Um, my my question was um, I'm going back to page number two. Um, so I understand the primary reason behind the operating revenue costs uh, was related to car rental, public parking, um, and WSA. But I'm also wondering, are is there a breakdown um, of 
projects that go over budget that is accounted in this area? Did I miss that? Are you talking about capital projects? Yes. That would not show in here. This is operating performance that's highlighted here generally. Um, that would be really part of a more comprehensive capital spending report. Mm -hmm. okay. As you can imagine, there's a mixture of projects, some under budget, some over budget. And we still do the quarterly uh, capital budget summary report, I believe. That, that information should be included in there. Okay, yeah. So thanks for that clarification. Sure. I was just wondering if any of those project overspend were accounted for in that, that $43 million. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that. Not, that would not be in here. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. That concludes sure. my question. Great. Any other questions? If not, I have a few. Go ahead. Go ahead, Commissioner Hazakawa. Comment that I mean. Great. <laughs> this is this is wonderful. Um, and seeing how well crews performed, um, it just tells me that there's room for us um, to push a little harder in our um, in our lease agreements with the cruise lines for. Mm -hmm. Um, just for for higher higher standards they, they clearly want to be here they want to do business here they want to come through here and it's okay for us to, to push and ask a little more thank you great real quick uh, I have one question here first of all do we bank with Silicon Valley Bank <laughs> no we do not okay good just for the public to be aware um, secondly I want to turn our attention to EDD and um, I think year after year EDD always kind of hangs in my head because it's one of the non-profitable not that we're here to make a profit but net losers no offense to EDD uh, in our organization um, I did wanted to ask a question though because we did outperform our budget by uh, by what three and a half million dollars or, or something like that um, but more importantly when you look at the EBITDA I mean uh, the six the net operating income whatever of six point five million dollars Right, and you compare it with actually the capital expenditure of EED of 2022, which is in your appendix, um, it would be safe to say that if we were to get past all these capital CIP um, uh, projects that EDD would be cash flow positive? Mm. Well, you know, well, first of all, you, the first comment I would just, um, I would amend to this, uh, my view of EDD is a hybrid uh, division because it, it mixes some business operations uh, in terms of real estate management and the, con the conference center, uh, but it combines those also with some of the more nonprofit kind of elements, the, the environmental, mm -hmm. are they, I'm sorry, the um, tourism grants that you discussed right. today, the economic development grants you just, uh, that have been presented to you previously. So it really combines both of those. So seeing a negative bottom line is just a reflection of this, this kind of this hybrid Sure. Entity that, that that brings in both business and, and nonprofit elements, um, the, the the capital expenditures that they would make would show up in depreciation, um, not not in the operating performance. And I'm not sure. Do we go so far as to show depreciation in our in our charts here? Yeah, Can I mean, we? we we do have depreciation in there. Um, again, slide 76. We go into a little further depth on that, mm -hmm. and then we also break out portfolio management, which is the revenue generating piece in slide 77 so you get a little more of a PL that looks at just the businesses in economic development division and kind of pulls out some of the um, economic development initiatives so we try and break them out both yeah. ways and so then some of those and I know uh, managing director Dave uh, McFadden's on here too but I think mm -hmm. as Kelly's pointing out Commissioner is that some of those like we look at our facilities that we operate in the business side um, mm -hmm. there have been increases in those including 
uh, Bell Harbor Conference Center and right. other efforts. So I guess I guess the point I'm trying to get to here is that if you look at slide 78, our CIP for EDD is mm -hmm. 10.5 million dollars, right? But yep. those are really uh, you know, one-time expenses for improvements, mm -hmm. not operating expenses, right? So my, I guess right. the point I'm trying to get to is that if we mm -hmm. were to zero out those CIPs, which will finish these projects, right, and mm -hmm. uh, assuming there aren't any other major big-ticket item improvements, then, you know, my back end of the nap nap napkin math actually shows that e the, at least on the real estate side, we might actually be cash flow positive, right? So the what that, I guess the slide 25 doesn't actually show the full picture of EDD when it comes to actual uh, net revenue and income. Yeah, right? it's a little challenging because it doesn't yeah. mix capital and operating elements together. But yeah. if you'd like, we, we can provide you with some more detailed information around yeah. that to help inform that, that question. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. Other, the other piece that shows up in there too is um, you do have uh, Pier 69 shows up in the Economic yeah. Development Division, which is, you know, doesn't obviously doesn't generate a ton of revenue, but has like an experience component as well. Cool. Um, any other questions? Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank Appreciate you for your time. It. Yes. Thank you very much. And I don't know where I put my script, but that concludes our agenda for the day in new business. I'm uh, already in presentation and staff reports. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's your fault. Okay. Um, Top of 28. All right, so uh, Executive Director Metric, oh sorry, uh, are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners? Yes, Commissioner Fellman. Uh, two quick things. One is um, looking forward right now in the, after you look at the revenues and stuff, in terms of what is all this uncertainty that is in the Seaport Alliance we talked about, um, looking at our Port Zone Maritime Division, we see the airport is doing very well, thank you very much, and it's self-sustaining. We have to look strategically at what our options are for growing the seaport, and I think it's a conversation we need to have in a more of a retreat-type setting. But uh, I was just, but maybe if you want to say something about that, that's great. But one thing I do want to say while we still have the budget folks here is that this JFOA award that we keep on having to hear about 17 years in a row, I understand one thing about it that I thought may be worth a, I guess we lost uh, Kathy already, but I understand we have to get a, a new plaque because we filled up the other one. So I, I would like to see us have a, a new plaque signing ceremony, but thank you very much for all that work. Commissioner, if I can just comment on the maritime, that's something uh, uh, Managing Director Stephanie Jones, that was myself, talk about she had a plan. I think COVID kind of derailed some of her business development plans, but we're back on that now and we're looking at that uh, including also on the capital delivery side too, improving both of those. Any other uh, questions or comments for the good of the order from commissioners? No? All right, uh, Executive Director Metric, do you have any closing comments for us today? Um, no, thanks, Commissioner. Thanks for your time. And uh, especially, I mean, uh, taking away from the budget presentation, you know, just showing is that, you know, really. Um, lays the groundwork for our budget discussions coming up for 2024. So I appreciate that and look forward to uh, some events coming up the rest of this week. Thank you. Great. Commissioner Feldman. I'm sorry, but this is a formality, but um, some of you may be aware of that we've come across uh, four ferry propellers that are the uh, Department of Transportation State Ferries 
uh, is surplusing and um, it's at a net no cost to us. In fact, it could be a slight profit if we choose not to use them because of their salvage value. But how, where in fact we put them, uh, which is where the expense would be, is a whole decision making process and we'd like to refer this to the art committee where we can have some uh, joint discussion about appropriate siting. Second. All right, any opposed? All right, it has been referred. Thank you, Commissioner Vellman. All right, hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objection, we are adjourned at 3.05 p.m. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.